Right now, Robert Dean has been engaged in the field of UFO research for 40 years. He began this research on active duty in the U.S. Army, where he served for 27 years, retired as a command sergeant major from the Army, 76, as a highly decorated combat vet, having served as an infantry unit commander in combat in Korean Vietnam, serious grunt work boy, also served in the intelligence field in Laos, Cambodia, North Vietnam, uh, shaped the military arm of the North Atlantic Treaty Org Organization, or NATO, as an intelligence analyst with a cosmic top-secret clearance, a cosmic top-secret clearance. While on this assignment, he was Master Sergeant with a cosmic top-secret clearance. Yeah, just said that. Dean worked in the Operations Division and was a member of the Inner Command staff, thereby working with and seeing secure... Supreme Allied Commander of Europe uh, almost every day. Now, I I don't know if I got that right this time. I said saucer last time. Ah, <laughs> oh, my. For the past 14 years, Dean worked with and for FEMA. Wow. Retired as an emergency services manager from the Pima County Sheriff's Department. And on and on and on. He has um, completed a manuscript for a book entitled The Time Has Come. We'll ask him what that means. So here's an interesting guy, and I don't know, um, Robert, uh, how come we've never crossed paths before? Well, that's an interesting question, Art. I don't really know. I've listened to you quite a bit, and I've admired your work for a long time, but I think probably you've been busy and I've been traveling. Uh, that might be it. Um, I've got to ask you to stay good and close to that phone and sort of project into it. Uh, we don't have the best of connections, but it's all right. Um... You worked in FEMA, huh? Yeah, I, I was an emergency services operations officer here in Tucson, FEMA County for about 14 years. And we were working with and for FEMA. Actually, most of our budget money came from the Federal Emergency Management Agency. All right, well, when I get calls from listeners here, I'll tell you what they say about FEMA. I know. I've you know what they say, people. right? Yeah, FEMA, FEMA is going to take us over. FEMA is being groomed to one day... Uh, drag out all those who are politically in disagreement with whoever is in power and slam them into concentration camps and that kind of stuff. Like uh, the Nazis, huh? Yeah, like the Nazis. You want to react to that? Well, I, I heard those stories, Art, and I, I don't buy into them too much. I spent <laughs> enough years working with those guys. I graduated from their academy at Emmitsburg, Maryland, with, I guess, what you would call an equivalent master's degree in emergency management. So I know basically that the FEMA guys are basically like the rest of us. You're trying to send a fax to somebody, aren't you? Well, Cecilia's over there trying to send it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tells you how often I hear that tone. Yeah. Anyway, anyway so, you know, so there you were in FEMA. I mean, uh, Most of the guys in FEMA art are pretty decent people. They're just like us. I mean, they're human. They make mistakes. Some of them are not too bright. Some of them are sharp as a tack. But what we did over the years is we put together a, a plan called COG. COG? Continuity of Government. Ah, this is where people begin to have a problem. Yeah, and that, that initial plan was designed because of the threat of thermonuclear war. As you know, we and the Russians damn near mixed it up at least a half a dozen times that I know of. Oh, yeah. And we, we've gone on major alert. We've gone on to uh, Redicon 2 and 3 at least. Four or five times. Is it Redicon now? It used to be DEFCON. Well, it, it, it used it's to be DEFCON, Defcon actually. DEFCON, yeah. Readiness condition, and then now it, I think it's called defense condition. 
But we've gone on that several times, and they never, ever announced it to the people. Oh, I know. Um, I was in the Air Force, and I had that phone ring a number of times when I was in the Cuban Missile Crisis and so forth. Yeah. That was wild. That was Well, close. this program was designed to, to keep a continuity of government operations in the event of a nuclear war. I think one strategy in a nuclear war is you cut off the head, right? Exactly. In other words, you, uh, you take out the leaders, the president, the vice president, as much of Congress and the Senate as you can take out. And we were making plans to keep our head about it. We didn't want to lose our head, and we had some plans in place. And uh, What would have happened? Well, I think actually we might have been able to survive to some point because we had a, a continuity system set up where the president, if he, if he didn't make it, we had a chain of command already established, and FEMA was to play a major role in that. And they had underground facilities, and they still do all over the country. Well, what would have happened, just speculatively, if the president, vice president, um, speaker of the House, and most of the House and Senate were utterly destroyed? You didn't get them out in time. Where, way down the line, would uh, the reins of power be picked up? Well, you'd probably look for the highest official elected individual in the country who you could find. It, national government, hopefully. And if you couldn't find that, Art, you... I'm afraid the commanding generals would have been under a military authority, martial law, and with the activities of FEMA, we would have tried to keep things moving and trying to keep the country together. Thank God it never happened. I don't know whether we would have pulled it off or not. We did the best we can writing the... Uh, Robert, I'm, I'm not convinced the danger's over at all. Well, it isn't. Frankly, it isn't. In other words, Russia, I was there a couple of years ago... Um, they're really in bad shape, really bad shape. Now, I don't think they're ready to fire anything at us, though you never know. I well, think the thing it, that worries it, you know, me, Art, is civil they, war. They have never retargeted their missiles. And technically, from what I understand, those missiles are still targeted at us. Well, technically, they're targeted at the ocean. Well, uh, that's what they claim. That's what I've heard. And that's I'm what we claim. Sure. And they say that's what we claim, too. But uh, who yeah. believes it? Not me. Let's keep our fingers crossed, huh? Uh, and then there's the Chinese, and there are um, worrisome things going on in North Korea. So, uh, you know... The biggest threat, threat I think we're facing, Art, is, uh, is thermonuclear uh, terrorism. Yeah. And there's a bunch of guys running loose over in the Middle East that have, if they haven't bought a bomb, they've sure as hell been trying. Right. And who knows, they may succeed. What did you make of that story of the 100 suitcase nukes missing? Well, that worries the hell out of me because I was involved with that suitcase program years ago in Europe. You were? You know, what happened is that we, we designed uh, nuclear landmines, and we designed them in 40 to 50-pound packages. Good Lord, nuclear landmines. Exactly. Uh, now, I thought the whole idea of a landmine was that you step on it, it blows your leg off, it takes you out of battle, and somebody else, and maybe two or three others who have got to take care of you. Well, that's one of the big secrets about the Cold War is that we were, we were making issue or we were making plans to emplace nuclear landmines all over Europe, across the divided Europe. And if the Russians ever made their move, we were going to detonate those things. Now, Holy the Germans weren't smoke. too happy about that. Well, I, understand. I remember a lot of German resistance. Uh, yeah, boy, I can see why they wouldn't be. But what we did is we, de we developed these systems, and they turned out to be rather efficient 40-pound packages. And now they fit into a suitcase. Yeah. And that's the thing that scares the hell out of me is because there may be a bunch of them out there running loose. Well, 
then maybe you could tell me this. I have heard that we've got these hot response teams uh, looking for exactly this kind of thing. Now, is it possible that somebody could get something like a suitcase nuke into this country without it being detected one way or the other? I assume that we have tremendous t detection techniques. I hope we do. Well, the team, we, we call these guys the nest, nest team. Yeah, nest. And... They're pretty damn good, and they're, they're better than most people realize, but our, nothing is fail-safe. I, I don't know. I, I suspect that we would probably maybe get 90 to 95 percent, but there's always a few that might make it through, and it only takes one or two. Yeah, that's right. And that worries me a lot. Well, I don't know. I think that we would we do the damnedest job we can. I, I've met a few of the guys. I've even trained with some of them. And they have some pretty good technology out there. They can fly over an area in a helicopter and tell whether there's radioactivity down there or not. Uh-huh. So... Yeah, that's what I meant. I, I, apparently, we've got very good detection techniques, and, and I guess you cannot hide that kind of high-grade, uh, bomb-grade uh, plutonium? Not very well. The problem we're facing out here in the southwest is we've got a border that's like a sieve. And these people are coming across not only by the hundreds, but by the thousands. I know. And not only is there a lot of pot and drugs moving, but, you know, I worry about those 40-pound suitcases. But that, we're doing the best we can. Pounds. Jeez. You know. Let's hope. A teen could carry one of those. Yes, exactly. Maybe even a kid. That's, that's incredible. Um, all right, I, I hear that fax machine still dialing. Is that going to go on, or is there an end? Well, I'm hoping that it shuts down here. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, um, while I've got a minute, I want to say something. Yeah, go ahead. First of all, I want to commend you in this show that you've been running here for some time. Thank you. I think you've probably done more on your program to interest the American people in what I consider to be the most important issue of our time. All right. Well, Monday, of course, was the, you know, a lot of people, I, I had a very mixed reaction. Some people said, whoa, oh, it was big news. I didn't hear it. Well, to me, when uh, C. Setti has met for three hours with the, the head of the CIA, and he's got his head in his hands uh, going, oh, my God. I, I want to ask you something, Robert. The one thing I didn't ask, and I obviously should have, was what the hell was it that was said to the director of the CIA that would cause him to put his head in his hands saying, oh, my God? Well, I've asked Stephen the very same thing. I, I, wasn't I wish involved. I had. Huh? I wish I had. Well, I, I've asked him that same thing, and he says that he knew absolutely nothing. And all Greer did was give him a little background briefing about what we have learned and what we had prepared. Now, I had helped prepare some of this material. I would help put this together for Greer. And that he gave a package of it over to the... Well, then you must know some of what was in it. I'm sorry? You must then know some of what was in it. You oh, prepared. yes. I, I know quite a bit of what was in it. All right. So then tell me. What, well, would, what would you say to the CIA director that would cause that kind of reaction? That we have been re reverse engineering alien technology. We did indeed recover not one but several pieces of alien hardware. Not only that, but we recovered healthy, walking about aliens from God knows where. And on top of everything else is that the controlling power of this cover-up and the controlling power of this policy-making group is way above the heads of the president and of the Congress and of the intelligence agents. Okay, let's back up a little bit. We'll get to that. You, you made such a statement. 
We recovered alien craft. We recovered alien beings. Exactly. Speaking of Roswell, I presume. Roswell and other places. And others. Yeah. How do you know this, Bob? I see, I've seen the photographs, Art. I've seen the documents. I've got, I've seen reports that, as I, as you probably know, every time I open my big mouth, I, uh, I take a risk. Because I could be fined. I could go to jail. I violate my security oath every time I open my big yap. But I've been on the inside for quite a number of years, and I've seen this material. And uh, it's not a joke. It's not fantasy. It's real. And uh, what frightens me is that our constitutional system of government is totally out of the picture. If it's real. How do you know? How do you know it's real? I mean, how, how much true, definitive evidence have you seen? Well, I've seen photographs of alien bodies. I've seen photographs of aliens walking around. Okay, me too. In other words, I've got some on my, on my website. But, yeah. I, you know, it always comes down to any photograph. I don't care how good it is. I know, Art. I know. Photographs are not evidence anymore. But I've read the autopsy reports. I've read the commentary by the medical examiners who conducted the autopsies. Now, now you know, let me start. You've read the autopsy reports. Yeah. Where? In Europe. He had a crash of a big disc over in northern Germany about 1964. Uh -huh. A big 30-meter disc crashed up near the Baltic Sea. And when the British Army got inside the damn thing, they found 12 small bodies. They photographed it. They took it apart. They took the bodies out. I've seen the photos. I've read the autopsy reports. And it's pretty shocking. All right. You say you had a top secret, a cosmic top secret clearance. What is that? Well, it's the highest level of access that Shape NATO had and still has. When I went to Shape in 1963, I had a top secret clearance. And when I got there, I was assigned to the operations division, and they upgraded me to cosmic. And it was then and still is the highest level of security classification that NATO has. Okay, I know secret and I know top secret, but I've never heard of cosmic top secret. Yeah, well, this is NATO. So there, a, there really is another ball game, you might say. There really is a designation of that kind, then? Oh, there really is, Art. And uh, I've taken a lot of flack from people who tried to tell me I was making all this up. But a lot of other people who were there have come out and defended me by saying, God, yes, we, we were there. Well, you've got quite a background uh, for people to be telling you, you you're making it all up. Uh, hold on, uh, Bob. We'll be right back to you. It's the bottom of the hour. Robert O'Dean is my guest, and we're going to ask a lot about this. I'm Art Bell. In ancient history, psychology and philosophy at Indiana University has completed extensive studies in archaeology and theology through his intensive four-part uh, FEMA career development course offered by FEMA. Robert graduated with an equivalent to a master's degree in emergency management. For FEMA, the feared FEMA. And here he is again, um, Robert. Welcome back. Thank you, Art. All right. Um, <laughs> You got to see these documents. Can you tell us what it was that you were doing that gave you access to these documents? Well, I'll do my best. I'll try to be brief. I, as you know, Art, I was a career officer for 27 years, both commissioned and enlisted. In 1963, I was assigned to one of those plum assignments over in Shape Headquarters in Paris, France. I was able to take my family with me, and my kids went to high school in Paris. 
I was assigned there in 63, and I was immediately given an assignment within the operations division. All right. And I was further assigned to a place we called Shock, the Supreme Headquarters Operations Center. And it was the NATO war room for the entire NATO theater of operations. Oh, boy. From the northern tip of Norway to the southern tip of Turkey. And to work in that war room, you had to have a cosmic level access. Now, cosmic was and still is the highest level of security access that NATO has. And my top secret was upgraded in 63 to cosmic. And I was assigned in the war room. Right. And I worked there for a better part of three years before we actually began moving the headquarters from Paris up to where it is now today in Brussels. Can I ask you a question about it? Yeah. A war room. That's where they've, uh, in the movies anyway, where they've got the big map up on the wall. Oh, yeah. They've got a whole bunch of controllers, and they're watching for something coming that ought not be. That kind of room? That's the kind of room, Art. We Uh we had one operating for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we had a full-time staff of over 25 people in there all the time. What's it like? There was always a controller, an E-06, either bird colonel or a a Navy captain. What's it like working in there? Oh, Jesus. It's it's tiring, and it's very stressful. Because, like the joke is, uh, your work in the military is primarily boredom interspersed with brief moments of pure terror. (laughs) And that's exactly what it was like in the war room. We... uh, we're looking at the Soviets and the Warsaw Pact across the divided Europe in those days. Yep. And God, we've we, everybody had their fingers on the triggers and their thumbs poised above the red buttons. And I, it's no joke to tell you that World War Three was only moments away. And uh, this UFO matter almost triggered that war at least a half a dozen times. Now I've heard some stories. And uh, 2020 did a big story, a couple three years ago. Yeah about a UFO that hovered over one of their installations and actually put one of their ICBMs into launch sequence. Yeah. And they, uh, the Russians apparently ended up tearing the entire thing apart, every console, after the incident, trying to figure out what was done, how it was done, whatever it was. Um, you were aware of that? Friend, that happened to us. That happened to us. That happened to us. I once interviewed a fellow who works in a silo here in, uh, the, who worked in a silo in this country, yeah. and he claimed the same thing. In in that in the case he talked about, he said that they shut down uh, some ICBMs. Well, they did. They closed down a complete Minuteman facility up at near Minot, North Dakota. I interviewed one of the officers. And uh, I've gotten the full report because I've talked to some of the guys who were there. And what these people did, they hovered over the facility. They they lifted the 20-ton door off of the silo. Oh, put my. It, put it aside like you and I would move a box of crackers. Really? And then when the guys finally got into the missile, they found out that not only had the warhead been melted, but they had scrambled the uh, guidance system to such a point that if the missile had ever been fired, God knows where it would have gone. Now, these guys have done this repeatedly. I say these guys, uh, whoever the hell they are. They did it to the Soviets, and they've done it to us. And uh, frankly, Art, I tell you that in my view, that's probably why the Soviet Union exists no more. Things have happened that uh, they made a believer out of Gorbachev. They also made a believer out of Ronald Reagan. 
I know Ronald Reagan had a lot to say about it. Uh, this incident in Minot, North Dakota, happened in 1982 when yeah, Reagan he, was in office. He wasn't that, even that circumspect about it. He several times made reference to the possibility of a common enemy yeah. in his speeches, uh, and that if Earth had to get together and fight a com common enemy, he said that again and again, and it, it, obviously he must have meant, he must have known something. Well, he must have known quite a bit, and I think he had wanted to say a lot more, but uh, I don't think policy would have allowed that at the time. No, I don't either. But that was uh, not all that circumspect. I mean, you don't have to look very far behind what he did say yeah. to see what it would mean. And he was not a stupid man. No, 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 no. He tried very hard to get some of this information out before he left office. And that's one of the things that I and the Old Boys Network is working very hard to try to do, Art. Okay, you're president of Stargate International. What is that? Well, it's an information and educational organization that Cecilia and I have put together over the last several years. We, uh, we conduct classes, we send out material, we uh, conduct briefings, we are preparing curriculum for uh, elementary and secondary kids in school. And Stargate is an organization that I would simply like to ask everybody out there who's interested enough to, uh, to contact us. We, we would like to hear from people. We also would appreciate a little bit of support. Because I'll be honest with you, Art, we, we are almost at uh, death's door here trying to keep this thing going. But it's an organization that is worldwide. We've got groups in Europe and all over the Far East and organizational connections all over the United States. And we're part of a, of a coalition. As you've probably heard from Stephen Bassett, we're a part of a coalition right. with Stephen Greer and CSETI. Right. And uh, Operation Right to Know is now a part of our coalition. And uh, we've got a lot of friends out there who are trying to help. Is there any doubt in your mind? I mean, you've seen documents, photographs, all the rest of it. Is there any doubt in your mind at all that we have made contact? None whatsoever, are None. None. You don't hold out any little part of you that says, maybe I was fed disinformation, maybe the documents were BS, maybe the photographs were hooked up? Well, from the very beginning, I was, I was a little bit skeptical. I, I've always been that way. I was trained to be a skeptic. But Art, I've spent over 30 years at this, close to 40 now, and uh, I've looked at so damn much evidence, both in the military and out, and the evidence that I also was able to collect when I worked with FEMA. And... The evidence for me is beyond a doubt. I, I have no more doubts about the reality of it. My big problem is that I'm worried about our constitutional system in this country. Well, if it's true, we damn well ought to be worried about it. Listen, Art, we're facing probably the greatest threat in our history at the moment from this UFO cover-up and, and the lies and the deceit and deception that's been going on in Washington. Well, one thing Greer said the other night was we have targeted... And we have shot at uh, UFOs. That's correct. So uh, there, there may example. be more danger than just our constitutional well, form of, of, of government. Hey, if we're, uh, I, in other words, why are we shooting at them, Bob? You know who Bobby Ray Inman was? Don't yes. You? Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, as he retired, he, he told a congressional committee, he says, you have a bunch of cowboys running out of control over there. And he was referring to Langley and Fort Meade. 
And the agencies he's referring to was the Central Intelligence Agency and the National Security Agency. Right. And Inman himself said, you've got a bunch of cowboys running out of control. They're spending $50 billion a year of black budget money where there's no oversight and no accountability. And we've got some Star, Star Wars weapons that really work out there. Yeah. And some of these idiots have been popping off at some of these visitors, and it, it's, it's a damned frightening situation. Well, um, it has to lead to a conversation about who they are. Exactly. In other words, are there many visitors? Are, do we know who they are? Have we made a deal with them? That's what a lot of people say. Art, when but, I but, left Shape in 1967, we knew of four different groups. When I retired in 76, we were basically aware of about a dozen different groups. I've talked to people who are still on the inside who tell me that there may be well over a hundred different groups out there coming and going. So this, this situation is absolutely earth-shaking. And uh, Well, let me just say this. Anything that would be coming and going at thousands of miles per hour, maybe 25,000 miles per hour through the atmosphere? Oh, Jesus, they've even exceeded that. Yeah, well, okay. With no sonic booms. Right. So anything that could do that, it seems to me you'd be really poorly advised to shoot at. I would think so. Now, because they might shoot back, and if they shot back with the kind of technology that allows them to do that... A well, thoughtful person would hesitate. It's like bringing a knife to a gunfight. You bet it. You bet. But we've got some people running loose over there, and I, I, I know a few of them. I worked with them over the years. And some of them are cowboys, and they really need to be reined in. Art, we're dealing with the greatest story in human history. And it's not simply the UFO matter. It isn't simply that we're being visited... One of the reasons they've kept the lid on this thing for so damn long is that the story is so damned big, and it's going to shake the world up when it finally comes out, because it's going to reflect on who we are, who the human race is, how we got to be here, and why we're here. I've long ago given up trying to worry about who they are and where they're from and why they're here. Okay, last night I had a creationist on. Yeah, I've heard about that. Okay. And uh, there's some interesting arguments there, and I, I never laugh at these guys. I always listen to their point of view. Same here. But I try to point out to them that the whole history of the human race, plus the major history of every major theology on this planet, including Christianity, mm -hmm. tells essentially the same story. And Art, that story is we're not alone and we've never been alone. Well, last night I asked him... The most pointed question, I thought, was would your faith be shaken if you um, were faced with absolute evidence that there are others? And, you know, he said a lot of things, but the, the bottom line when he finally got to it was yes, yes. It, w it would be. Well, I, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, I, I was born and raised a Christian, and uh, I studied theology and history over my years. That's why I'm asking you this. I see it here. I read it. I... Uh... I would like to say to some of my fundamentalist Christian friends, go back and read the comments from the beautiful young man from Galilee and read what he had to say about who he was and where he was from and what it was all about. And if they do that, I think they will begin to grasp that there was a hell of a lot more that he tried to communicate than they've ever understood. He told them that he had other sheep, he had other, other flocks, Mm -hmm. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. He did. 
He says, this that is up. not my home, this is not my kingdom. And uh, he, he made it clear as best he could that we were living in a universe absolutely teeming with intelligent life. And uh, that's in the four Gospels. It's also in a lot of the material that had been purposely removed by the, the church fathers for political reasons over the years. Okay, but in fact, it, it was removed. And um, my guest last night was a very honorable man, but there was no question about the fact, Bob, that he believed in every fiber of his being what he was saying. Yeah. And if there was a sudden revelation, I'm not sure how well it would go down. And I... I you know, what do you think about that? Well, Art, one of the reasons I've been speaking out so openly here for at least the last four years is that the reality of this thing is, is so damned big that when it does come out, it, it's people talk about a paradigm shift. Well, that's an understatement. Yeah. This is going to be the biggest thing in history, and uh, it's going to affect not only the world economy, it's, not, it's going to affect everybody on the planet, but it's going to have a major impact on world religions. And I simply ask people to go back to their roots, whatever they might be, whether they're Jewish or Muslim or Jew, uh, Hindu, what doesn't matter, and, and look and study what the creators of those systems tried to say. And you'll find, as I have, that basically they're the same basic story being told, whether it's Buddhism, whether it's Hinduism, whether it's Islam, the Jewish tradition, the Christian tradition, the right. same essential story is told again and again. That we're not alone, we've never been alone, and apparently we are part of an infinite universe filled with intelligent life. That's going to shake people up when it all comes out. And I'm been... not sure that we could stand it. Uh, the, you know, the Brookings report, of course, said the scientists would be uh, one of the more difficult groups to... Uh, deal with this, and a lot of them couldn't and wouldn't. Oh, yeah. It would destroy a lot of their paradigms. They'd go bananas. And I think the Brookings report was a very piece, nice piece of work. I'm, I think, uh, so do I. So do I. And I'm not convinced that it's still not as true today as it was then. Well, Art, to some degree, you're probably right. I, I know that there will be people out there who will not be able to deal with this. But I also have a deep-rooted feeling that the average human being out there, the average American citizen, is not only brighter than their government thinks, I think they're more stable than their government thinks. Really? You remember the riots in L.A.? Oh, yes. What percentage of the people in L.A. do you think rioted? Oh, for God's sake, one-tenth of one percent, uh -huh. or even less. Or even less? Yes. In the, case, it, in the case of extraterrestrial sudden presence, what percentage of the people do you think would be disturbed? That's difficult to say. I really don't know. Ah, just make a stab at it. The percentage of people who would be uh, negatively affected? Yes, sir. I think probably 25%. I rest my case. I mean, even, even, even from a FEMA perspective, if you look at the percentage of people who rioted in L.A. and the effect that had, yeah. and then you look at the percentage of people that you just called across the board, but you see, Art, we can change that. We, if we How? educate people How? How? and inform them and prepare them for this. How? In other words, in other words, here we talked about shooting at them a while ago. Yeah. Some of them may not be as friendly as others. Well, there's a whole bunch of different guys out there. Right, exactly. Some are probably very benevolent, and some of them, from what I've been able to piece together, and I've gotten a lot of evidence over the years, that there are some out there that don't much like us. So, 
so. But that doesn't mean that they're going to come down and turn us into dog food. And uh, Well, they might if we keep shooting at them. Well, <laughs> they mean, have shown enormous restraint. That on. sends a definite message. When you <laughs> shoot at somebody, it's sending a message. What it does, it simply shows how damned primitive we are. I think it tells them that these, these guys down here, these dudes here, are pretty dangerous, and let's be cautious about this. But I don't think that they're going to flush us down the toilet anytime soon. And I think they recognize, having been watching us for a long time, that most of us are fairly decent folks. When you examine an anthill, we have a lot of them in the desert here. They make little hills. They're very industrious. There's gazillions of ants there. And you're walking down the road. Sometimes they actually manage to make an anthill right in the middle of the pavement. Damnedest thing you ever saw. I've seen that. Right. And when you... You know, it might be dusk or something. You step on that anthill, you probably kill thousands of ants. I mean, it's an absolute ant genocide. And you know why half the time you don't even notice it? You don't even know you stepped on it. You weren't paying attention. Uh-huh. Well, uh, is it not possible that some of them are sufficiently advanced that they could step on us like an anthill with, uh, and hardly even notice that what, what they had done? Well, there's no question they could do that, but the history that I've been able to look at, Art, is, indicates to me that they have been well aware of us for a very long time. And one of the most delicate subjects about this entire matter is that we've had an intimate interrelationship with some of those guys from the beginning of human history. So they know about us. They probably know us better than we know ourselves. And I do believe that they've had a hand in probably establishing most of our major religions. Oh. All so what right. I think is... All right. Uh, listen, we are at the top of the hour, so you're going to get to take about a, a several many-minute break here. Dean, Robert, you said that you believe that they, in quotes, because there are many, probably account for the roots of a lot of our modern religions. Is that right? That's correct, Art. See, that's that'll really shake them up. Let me that, tell you a little really bit shake them up. how I got to this position. Frankly. Please do, yes. I, I've always thought of myself as a relatively uh, low-key kind of person. I was never a new-age type of person. I wore a crew cut most of my life. I was military, and I was no-nonsense. But I've gotten involved in this thing, and, and I got exposed to this reality at shape. 1963 to 1967. And it changed my life. I've never been able to get around it or get behind it. And uh, I really began digging into it, Art, over the last 30, 35 years. And it's become, for me, literally the most important issue of my life. Sure. And it became very clear to me that uh, this is earth-shaking, literally, in its interpretation. That when the truth finally comes out, uh, nothing is going to ever quite be the same. So I, I've put this program together. We've got this little organization called Stargate, and we're trying to get information and education out there for the people. And we've got a few products, and, and we ask people to call us and communicate with us and keep in touch with us. And uh, we've got tapes that we're prepared to send, and we've got what, what, are, the, what are the tapes about? I mean, huh? What are you educating people about? What are you saying to them? For the, the idea that we're not alone, that we've never been alone, and that we are apparently members of an infinite community of intelligent life in the universe, and within a few short years, and I'm afraid time is running out on us, 
we're going to be confronted with that reality to such a point that it, it's going to turn the old world upside down. Well, we're people not, have got to get ready for it. They've yeah, but got we're, to not, be, we're not full members yet by any means. Oh, and, no. In fact, um, I, I, I don't even think there's been a real serious overture asking us to join anything. Right? They probably look down at what we're doing right now and say, uh, you know, there should be a pesticide applied down there. No, I don't think so. I'm not that pessimistic. Let me tell you something. I think that we're some good guys out there that are very beneficial and very benevolent, and I think they uh, aren't their family. I think that's the big story, that these guys are actually part of our family. Well, then, if we've been shooting at their craft, we've got a pretty big domestic well, dispute going on. We're we're a pretty dysfunctional bunch ourselves down here. Yes, there you go. But listen, I, I've got to tell you this, and I would like to put this in, if I may. Uh, there's some material out there... Uh, a good friend of mine, Joe Berger, Bergeron, at Morgana Anagram, has put a video together for me. And it's available to people. And if they really want to get the full story of what I try to say and what I've been speaking out about, they can get a copy of this thing. Can I give the uh, of course. 800 number? Yep. The title of this thing is The Greatest Story Never Told. And it can be obtained through 1-800-888. 338-8581. And Joe Bergeron of Margana Anagram has done what I consider to be a fairly decent job on uh, this matter. It's a color video, 94 minutes. And, right. Uh, it deals with pretty much what I've been trying to speak to people about for the last four years. There's also a couple of other things that are out there. Well, what we... I want to know is how does this video lead you through it? Does it present you with irrefutable evidence that you've been talking about this morning. Oh, yeah. First of all, that this is real. Yeah. Irrefutable evidence. Oh, yeah. I, I throw out a lot of history there. I've got a lot of slides. There are a lot of uh, material that I present that uh, are very stimulating, and I think that that's important that people take a look at some of this stuff. So I, I'm rather pleased with it, Art. I think it's about the best presentation that I've put together here, and I commend Joe for his efforts. We've got a CD-ROM out there that have been put together by another group called Dreamland Interactive. I've heard of them, yes. And uh, Ernie Green and the group over there have right. put this CD-ROM together, and uh, I'm not only the only one on there. Linda Moulton Howe is on there and quite a few other guys. And uh, you can pick that up. At Dreamland Interactive. So she's the only gal. The, the all the others are guys. Yeah, we're the only guys. But uh, she, she's a gal a all the way. Believe me, she, she was uh, Miss Idaho. You know. Listen, uh, I know her well. She's a beautiful woman. But uh, Dreamland Interactive can provide something, and uh, I'm trying to look at their phone number. Eight one eight eight four three one one six two. Okay. And Ernie Green will provide uh, people access to this uh, CD-ROM. So the information is there, Art. I'm not the only one who's trying to put it out. I feel this is the most important issue in human history, and I think that people not only have a right to know, they have a need to know. And if we can get them halfway educated and get them halfway prepared, this shock is not going to be that serious. Oh, yes, it is. If, if, well, it's going I'm, to be I'm serious. telling you right now, we went through it a little while ago. Uh, I asked Bob how many people rioted in L.A., you know, and he said, 
well, what, tenths of one percent or less, hundredths of one percent or something? And I said, well, okay, then, this is for the L.A. audience. To just run. Well, then how many might get upset enough to do something negative if uh, there was a sudden reality of others? And he, well, I don't know, you said 25 percent, case closed. You know, the, the Brookings report has got to be right. I, you can educate people, and there are some people who would accept it, but not the majority. Right now, right now, Bob, if they landed, um, the world would never be the same again. The cities would burn. There'd be anarchy. Uh, there'd be Mark. people shooting. Uh, as they came down off the ramp, they'd be filled full of lead. You know, the, the fundamentalists, um, you know how they'd react. They'd, course, they'd uh, Just like my guy last night, he's a very nice guy, but he said these would be, his first thought would be, these would be devils. These would be of the devil. And if you don't think those, people's, those people, excuse me, would go out and get every shotgun and high-powered rifle they could find and try and dispose of these demonic things... You're you're wrong if you don't believe that. Well, I see your point, Art, but I'm not about to give up on the people, and I'm not about to give up on the constitutional system. All it means is we're not ready. Well, we're not yet ready. So if I was a military guy, and I had real evidence, I would think really hard before I would, you know, blow the whistle. Now, it may be that what you're doing is a kind of a... I was thinking of this last, the first hour I did the show, a kind of a conditioning process that is underway, and it may be that if our current generation of adults is not prepared to accept this, that, the next, that the next generation will be. I believe that you are a part of this, uh, yeah. this program, yeah, whether I'm you know it or not. No, I know. I think I'm a part of it. I think all of us who are speaking out honestly about it are probably a part of it, whether we realize it or not. And I do believe that people can be prepared. I, I just refuse to give up on the fact that the people are not stupid. I mean, I think they can deal with this. Now, the estimate that I've heard recently is that 80% of the American people yep. literally believe in the reality of UFOs. I know it. Now, no, that's that, true. That's a pretty impressive figure, and that's come up quite a ways over the years. But it doesn't. It still doesn't say 80% would be cool if they landed. I, I understand. <laughs> but let me tell you something. They're not going to land on the White House lawn tomorrow morning. They have been in our midst for a very, very long time. Yeah. And these are intelligent guys from wherever the hell they're from. There are some of the people who I think had a hand in our being here. Well, you've, you've studied theology. Do you consider it more likely that it teems with life out there or that... Uh, we are the only life in all of out there. Oh, good Lord, no. The universe is literally teeming with life. Intelligent life. And the carpenter from Galilee made that point repeatedly. It's even in the first chapter of the book of Genesis. When God created the, the world, the word that he used, or the word that's in the first chapter of Genesis, is literally cosmos. It's the Hebrew word that's been translated, and it literally means the universe. So you see, I think that the universe is literally filled with intelligent life. The carpenter made it very clear. I think it likely. The Buddha made it very clear. Uh, Krishna, the Hindu god, made it very, very clear. I think the same story has been told continually, and it's even in the Koran. Yep. Muhammad makes this point. All right, um... <laughs> Let's talk for a second about the state of us. 
in the earth. And now, I've had uh, Professor Michio Kaku on the show many, oh, yeah. several times. Brilliant, brilliant, man. brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And he talks about type zero civilizations one, two, and three. Now, we're a type zero. And most type zeros, the great majority of them, never attain type one status. They destroy themselves. Yeah. And if you look around the earth right now, I read a story, I bet you heard it, about 100 dolphins just uh, tonight beaching themselves north of Caracas. You know, swimmers went out, tried to haul them back out to sea. They beached themselves and died. Yeah. Committed suicide uh, from our point of view. Um, the environment is, is, is deteriorating all around us. There's no question about it. All kinds of things are going on that are not good. New viruses. Hey, I've got a fax here from, uh, from somebody. I don't know. You know, there is a terrible virus going around uh, in Southern California. Our Channel 4 NBC News just reported that 500 people have died from the flu in L.A. They say it's spreading to San Diego, where elective surgery has now been canceled. Now, I don't know if this is true, but I can tell you this. He, he, this person goes on. Many, uh, many years uh, listeners who's very sick with what my private doctor is calling an unknown virus. They, they, they're calling it flu-like symptoms, and they're being very nonspecific about it. We've got chicken flu, which takes about 25% of those that get sick and kills them in China. All of this stuff going on. It's, you know, if you think about our type zero-ness, um, it doesn't sound to me like we've got a real good shot right now at making type one, if you go along with Michio Kaku, and I kind of do. Well, I see Michio's point, and, and he's a brilliant young man. But, Art, I do believe we're going to make it. I think that we are at a crucial point in our evolution. I think we've reached that moment, whether we're either going to make it or we're not. Well, you give me a reason to be optimistic. I've given you a reason to be pessimistic. Uh, it's in my nature. Give me a good reason to be optimistic that we'll get past all this. Well, I've lived 69 years, Art. I think I may have a few years on you. Are you really 69? I'm 69. You sure don't sound it. Well, there are days when I feel it. <laughs> and I'll tell you this. I've seen things, I've been places, and I've lived a lot in the last 69 years. I've become cynical, and I've become depressed, and I've become discouraged. But there is a part of me that refuses to give up on the human spirit. There's a part of me that refuses to give up on the fact that I think the human race will make it. I think that we're not alone, and we've never been alone. created us? Well, yes, I think they had a hand in it, yes. I touch upon that in one of my videos. I... I I'm a friend of Zechariah Sitchin, and that old scholar is uh, yes has got one hell of a story to tell. I met privately with him in the last 60 days. I've met with Ed Mitchell and Zechariah Sitchin and uh, Phil Corso. And all in all, Art, I am convinced that we have a chance to make it, that if we can pull ourselves up, learn to live with each other, Get, get away from this savagery and this bloodletting, for God's sake, that we've been involved in. I think we can make it. I, I've, been, I, I've interviewed all of them. You know, the people I, yeah, just I'm about. sure you have. You see, I, I'm not a deeply religious man, and yet I'm convinced that the young man from Galilee tried to tell us the truth. One of the things he's quoted as saying is he says, You are as gods. What I do, you can do, and even more. 
And uh, I think that point indicates that we are not alone, and I think there is a chance we are going to make it, and I think we've got some good friends in high places. So I, I'm, a, I'm an optimist about the future of the human species. I, I would like to quote, if I may, uh, Leo Tolstoy. The old man before he died said that there is something within the human spirit, that there's a light that will not go out no matter how dark the world becomes. That may be right. And I believe in that spirit, Art. I believe in that light, and I think that we will make it. I refuse to give up on the human race. Okay. Um, let me back away from that for a second. I've got a fax here. Dear Art, I've had the pleasure of knowing and hearing Bob Dean speak here in Phoenix at the International UFO Congress uh, meetings in Mesquite and Laughlin. He is for real. He is dedicated. As the program progresses, get him to describe for you the medieval paintings he found in Europe which show plainly UFOs in the pictures. He has a great slideshow with these photographs, undeniable. They were here centuries ago, uh, Elaine in uh, Phoenix. So, okay, tell me. Well, that's part of my presentation. I have about an hour and a half material, and a big chunk of it is a slideshow that I put together with great care over the years. And I've got some evidence in there, Art, that I think uh, is quite challenging to almost anybody who would like to look at it. There's another tape out there, a young man named James Fox over Quick Brown Fox Productions up in Sausalito mm -hmm. has just come out with a new UFO tape called 50 Years of Denial. And I'm on it, as well as a number of other people. And uh, they can get a hold of Fox at area code 415-331-0335. It's a 48-minute video, but it's got a lot of material in there, and part of my presentation is in there. So You went I back and testified with uh, Dr. Greer in Washington, didn't you? No, I was invited, Art, but I didn't make it. I couldn't afford it. I'm a military retiree, and I'm living on a very limited pension. And so Stephen invited me, but I was unable to come up with the cash to get over there. Suppose, followed... Let's suppose for a second that you had gone. Yeah. It's my understanding that an awful lot of people who went and testified talked about seeing lights, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing, uh, seeing radar images. Yeah. And he brought people like that of high caliber who testified about those kinds of things. I, I, hey, we're at a break. Can you hold on? Sure. All right. Stand by. My point of view. Back now to my guest, Robert Odeen. And, uh, Robert, what, where I was going was, if you had gone to Washington, had had plenty of money, first-class flight to Washington, testified uh, with, um, uh, with others. Uh, and, and as I was saying, I was developing it, a lot of them just saw lights or radar images or whatever. You would have had a lot of uh, harder evidence to, to talk about. I mean, if you just said things that you're saying to me right now, would you have? Not only would I have taken evidence that I could have shown to people, but I would have said quite a few things, even beyond what I've said to you tonight, Art. Well, go ahead. Don't stop well, now. I, I mean, I again, I was so intrigued Monday. I mean, the CIA director with his head in his hands going, oh, my God, what is it that he was told that it was so conclusive, so dramatic, so had so much impact that, that they could drive him to that? 
Well, I think the shock that he probably went through was primarily not so much of what he heard as the fact that he hadn't heard any of it before. Now, here's a guy who's a director of central intelligence, and Greer is telling him things that he had never heard before. And I think that was primarily what part of the shock was. I'm not so sure that the things that Stephen shared with him was that much of a shock, yeah, but, Although I suspect a few of them were. Yeah, but look, you were, in the, <clears throat> you were in the military, right? Oh, yeah. So if we had, for example, shot at some of these craft, or we had absolute evidence of some of these craft, and that military information did not make it to the, uh, the head of the CIA, then we're so screwed up we don't have a chance. I mean, if, 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 Mr. if Dr. Greer had to tell the director of the CIA that we've been dealing with these craft for a long time, and that's what he added his head and his hands about, Yeah. then we're, we're in deep well, doo-doo. Art, it's worse than that. We're in deeper doo-doo than you might imagine. Uh, one of my great friends and a man I deeply admire is Ed Mitchell, and he confided in me recently that he, he made a personal trip to uh, some friends of his who I guess are on the Joint Chiefs of Staff in Washington, at that level at least. You're talking now about Apollo 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell, who I had on the show the other morning, Exactly. Right? Okay. And, and Ed talked to a few generals and admirals over there. I understand it was in July yes. of this last year. And uh, they shared with him some things that there's something big going on. And they, they're aware of that, but they don't know specifically what it is because the, the cover and the policy control is so far beyond them and the president and the Congress, that the guys on the Joint Chiefs are pissed off. And they're depressed. The other night when I had Ed on, he... I'll tell you this, it occurred during a break, because we alluded to it when we came back uh, from one of the breaks. He was having a serious conversation with Dr. Greer and the others we had on the line at the time, saying, you know, should we be giving out the names we're giving out? You know, we could really piss off the wrong person here. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was really serious about it. This was during the break, and they were having this serious conversation, so I made, sort of made him talk about it a little bit when he came back. He's a very thoughtful man. Very thoughtful man. Yes, he is. And you're saying that he has information that he didn't even give us the other night that came, has come from generals. And admirals. And how specific can you be about what, what it is? I mean, something going on. What does something that mean? Something big is going on, something and they big. know it's an extraterrestrial matter, and yet they're not in the loop. And this is rather shocking. If I were to ask Ed Mitchell about that now, do you think he would admit it or deny it? I think he would probably admit it, that he's talked to these people. Yeah, uh, I don't think I'm divulging anything that, that would embarrass Ed. Well, I say this because a lot of times when I've asked Ed this kind of question, he walks really carefully, in other words, uh, in between what he says he believes probably is true based on things he's heard yeah. and things he knows to be true. Now you're talking about first-hand, first, you know, eyewitness testimony of generals and that kind of thing. That's pretty serious. Well, Ed says he's always had a lot of respect for these guys, and he's always believed that they're not just bare-faced lying to everybody. Mm. And he says... His conversations with some of them indicated to him that they were not lying, that they, they know something's happening, but they don't know what it is. And that the thing that pisses them off the most is that they're not in the loop. Now, I find this very depressing, that if our Joint Chiefs and the President and Congress are not in the loop, who the hell is? That's the thing that worries me the most. Okay. Who is? 
That's a good question. I've got a few ideas of my own, but... Uh, well, let's hear them. Well, whether you think it's legend or myth, I think there's a lot of truth to the Magi group, the uh, Majestic 12 group. That's not what they call themselves now. The it doesn't cases matter. are that they, they've got another handle now. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what they're called. It doesn't matter you, what In other words, you now. believe there is a select group of people who for years have been managing this whole thing. It's multi-agency. It's multinational, and it's got enormous power. See, you worked in FEMA. These are the exact same kind of things. I was joking about it earlier, but uh, these are the same kind of things that people constantly say about FEMA. I know. And much so, of it is true. Uh, excuse me? Now, wait a minute. Earlier, I said the worst fears that you're tossed around on radical radio hither and yon are that... FEMA's going to, you know, collect up the political dissidents and toss them into concentration camps that no, pilots no, have reported seeing and all the rest like of that, that kind of crap. Let me tell you this. If the, if the balloon goes up, Art, I mean whatever form it might take, whether it's nuclear war or whatever. Yes. If the balloon goes up, we're going to need FEMA. And we're going to need those guys all over the country that are involved in emergency management. Look, the way the, the weather is going right now, we're going to need FEMA just for disasters, um, uh, minus nuclear disaster. Exactly, exactly. And as I said, there's some good people over there. They're, they're just like you and I. Sure. I'm they're... just trying to point out to you that what's being said about FEMA in these somewhat paranoid circles um, is a, a pretty good parallel to what you're telling me right now about what's going on at the highest level regarding alien contact. Yeah. Sounds a lot the same. Yes, I guess i got to agree with you. It's true. The point is, who is running the show, who's making the policy, and who's controlling the over $50 billion of black budget money every year? Yep. That's an answer we've got to have, or we can kiss our Constitution goodbye, Art. And I don't want to see that happen. No, I don't either. And this old boy network that I'm a member of... Uh, we're willing to lay our lives down, and many of us already have, to see that this doesn't happen. And that's why the people have got to be informed. That's why the people have got to be educated, damn it. We've got to get this into the constitutional process where it should have been in the first place. Mm. We've got to get it in the halls of Congress. We've got to get it out in the daylight. And the only people who can do that, Art, are the American people themselves. Well, that's probably right. I had an attorney on the other night thought he could do it in court. but uh... Yeah, I, I remember Peter. I have a great admiration for him. But I don't think he can do it in a courtroom. I think the people themselves have got to do it through their elected representatives, and that's why I try very hard in what small way I can to get them pissed off enough, to get them angry enough that they're going to do something about it. This, in my opinion, literally is the greatest secret and the greatest issue in the history of the human race. And by God, that says a lot. It does. You're right. And our, it, it, I think our survival depends upon this. And our survival hinges on the people becoming informed and the people participating in the process. And if we can't get that thing to work, we might as well bend over and, as they jokingly say, right. I, 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 I know the rest of it. Goodbye. Yeah, I know. I'm not about to give up yet. I, I'm an old, old type, and I... I'm fractious as hell. I've been around the block a few times, and I'm not about to give up on my Constitution and the American public. So I commend you and the work you're doing. 
Yeah, but suppose, but Bob, suppose I made the case to you, which I'm forced to make again, that to reveal this information right now would do in the Republic anyway, would uh, call FEMA out to do the biggest job they've ever had to do. There would be disruption of our economic system, of our policing system, of social behavior, of our re religious institutions, and on and on and on and on. Exactly. Uh, so on the one hand, you're saying it, it's got to be revealed. On the other hand, because we've got to save our constitutional system, but on the other hand, there is an argument suggesting our constitutional system would go under uh, like, a, like a brick into the river if we did it. Well, I don't think the truth is going to destroy us. I think the lie will, Art. The lie is more likely to. I think that the truth will manage to keep us going and the truth will see us through. But if we don't get away from this damned lying, that's going to destroy the country itself. All right. Let's go back to some basics. Right before yeah. the top of the hour, according to Larry in Medford, Oregon, and I think it's right, we began to speak to the issue of how long the visitors have been with us and the effect that they've had on the world's religions. Would you please ask your guest to expand on that issue that that... In, in what way do you know that they are responsible for many of the world's religions, if not our creation? And I think you said you believe that. That's what I have concluded, yeah. Uh, uh, what, how do you, what do you support that with? Well, besides faith. About 50 years of research and 50 years of studying theology, philosophy, ancient history. I put all the bits and pieces together, Art, and I'm not the only one who's reached this same conclusion. Zechariah and I are pretty much in agreement that uh, we are a seeded race, that we have been created in a sense here, and we've been genetically manipulated continually from the beginning of our history. And I think we can deal with that. I think we can come to terms with that. And I think once we understand that most of our religious philosophy of every major religion on the planet tells us essentially the same truth, I think that people can deal with it. I believe that they're strong enough to handle it, and I believe we will survive. But we can't continue to lie to ourselves, and we can't continue to allow them to lie to us. We've got to reclaim the Constitution, Art, or we might as well just close up shop and go home. What evidence, Bob, is there that they are our creators? Well, as I told you once, the first chapter of Genesis makes it pretty damn clear. And if you'll do the, the uh, do the research, you'll find that the same essential story is told in the uh, Enuma Elish, the ancient Sumerian epic of the creation. You find that it's in the Quran. You will find that it's in the uh, the Hindu philosophies. The Hindu philosophies are ancient. The theological philosophies go back eight, ten thousand years, and the same essential story is told that we are a created race. We literally have been uh, seated on this planet. And we've got some friends in high places, and we've not alone, and we've never been alone. Well, there is a problem with the evolution theory, of course. Oh, yeah. Well, there are, there, you know, I mean, my guest last night shot a lot of good holes into that at times. There are gaps. There are things that we don't understand about how we got here. You know even Darwin himself never really applied the evolution concept to the human species. And that's something that very few people know. He, uh, he said that there was not enough evidence that he could really apply that 
theory and philosophy to the human race. And I think that's a good point. Uh, listen, I got I got to do this one more time, if you don't mind. I got to give you that toll-free line, if I may, because people are interested, I think, in what I've been saying, and I think they're interested in what I've tried to do. And no, no, that's fine. You go right ahead. That's if, the whole idea can, is to get the information. Get call, you know, they can call one eight 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 three three eight eight five eight one. And uh, yeah, how do you make a living? I mean, how do you stay above water? Barely. Barely, huh? I, I, Stargate basically is an out-of-pocket effort, and Cecilia and I have been doing it ourselves now for about three years, and we're we're just barely able to keep our heads above water. And one of the reasons I'm concerned and trying to promote this video is that maybe it'll help us pay some of our expenses. Cecilia also tells me that if people contact us here at Stargate, she's got a free reading list and a an order form for videos that recommended reading that she'll put out free of charge. Okay, free of charge, huh? Yeah, that's that 888 388 hold on. 888 Excuse me, Art, hold on. That's this, right. this lady is standing here yelling in my ear. Hold on a minute. Okay. Art? Yes. This is Cecilia. Yes, Cecilia. Thank you for letting me say this. I, I appreciate this opportunity. I just want to mention to everyone that uh, what we have just decided to do just a moment ago is give away to anyone who is interested in doing the research about uh, all of what you have been discussing, where we have come from, um, the Enuma Elish, uh, etc. If people are really interested in doing that kind of research, with every order of the video, that people dial in and, and order, we will give you not only a hard copy of the petition, we will also give you as our gift a copy of Bob Dean's recommended reading list so that people can do their own research. All right. What's the number, Cecilia? one 888 one Got it. All right, Cecilia, thank you very much. I'd uh, like to give you one other number, by the way, if I may, while I, while I have this brief opportunity. All right. Uh, we have also put together a UFO abduction hotline out of Tucson, and we have trained crisis intervention team members here in Tucson. Uh, helping people who have been abducted. Helping people who have been abducted. It well, is that's about the next thing, by the way, I'm going to cover with Bob, is the whole subject of abduction. I was almost there. So oh, Very good. Okay, that's part of the research that I've been working on myself. Okay, that's fine. So you've got a crisis helpline for them. We do. We have a hotline number. I'd like to mention it now, and then when you cover it with Bob, we'll, yeah. we'll say it again. Yeah, go ahead. That number is 520-388-8591. When people Eight, call five, in. Nine, one. All right, so uh, I've had a lot of people who claim they've been abducted who want help, and I never know what to tell them. Oh, uh, so you just you have a full page, uh, which I just faxed to you. You're welcome to give them that page. It's it's a description of what we do at the hotline. It tells you a little bit about the training that each hotline responder has gotten. Everyone has crisis response skills, which they've taken in in-depth training programs which uh, Stargate has provided, a and the hotline number that I just gave you will reach voicemail which will tell the caller that they will get a response 
only to them, and they only need to leave a first name. And when they get a, a return call, it'll be within 24 hours. All right. All right, that's a hot piece of information. I really appreciate it. I really have been looking for a place to send these folks. Um, area code 520-388-8591. Exactly. All right, Cecilia, thank you. You're welcome. And uh, let me speak again with Bob, if you would. Here he is. All right. Uh, Bob? Now you know why I've got long gray hair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Quite a lady. Uh, indeed. I Listen, uh, that was exactly where I was going, was to the whole business of abduction. Yeah. Now, uh, people at Harvard, John Mack, mm -hmm. Professor Mack, John's many, many, many others. Uh, we have evidence of implants. We have electron scanning microscope photographs of implants on my website. We have... Uh, but Hopkins, with what appears to be irrefutable evidence of abduction, I've uh, had him telling the stories here on the air. If these guys are friendly, what are they doing stealing people? Well, your question is well, ta well taken, and I have given it a lot of thought. And what I've, come, what I've concluded, and this is my personal view, is a lot of the little guys who are doing the abducting, are not particularly well-trained. I mean, they don't seem to understand human emotions and human feelings. Mm. And much of the trauma art, I don't think, is intentional. I think it's inadvertent. Yeah, like stepping on an anthill. Well, you see, there is some strong evidence that some of these little gray dudes are not a species or a race unto themselves. But rather a biological breed. Of they're an android. Android of some kind. Yeah. And apparently they, they're... They're programmed to do certain things. They, they're what we used to call in the military gophers. Yeah. Go for this, go for that, take care of this, do that. And they don't understand human emotions and human trauma and feelings. And uh, you probably remember the famous Betty Hill case. Oh, sure. Where Betty and Barney were both terribly traumatized by that experience. Of and course. during the process of it, one of the taller guys, one of the... The human-like grays put his hand on Betty's head, forehead, and somehow the pain went away. Well, and I've interviewed Travis Walton. People who've taken lie detector tests were absolutely abducted. Uh, exactly. The movie Fire in the Sky, made about the Walton case. Listen, hold on. With, or, I guess, uh, once again right now, Robert O'Dean is here. And, Robert, I do want to begin asking you a little bit about these abductions. Um... First of all, there are, there's a large group of people out there who believe that this cabal we talked about, this group we talked about earlier, made some kind of deal with some of them to be able to take some of us for genetic uh, tomfoolery or some very good cause, who knows, but that a deal was made. Is that what you believe? I've heard those rumors, Art, and I'm not sure I'm convinced of the reality of that. Uh, God, I hope not. Yeah, I hope not, too. I, I hope that some of our people in government, whoever the hell they might be, are not stupid enough to have made a deal of that kind. Okay, let's say they didn't, just for the sake of the conversation. Then that means that they're snapping up people for nefarious reasons, and we ought to damn well be shooting at them. Well, I'll tell you, my own view is that this, this genetic monitoring system or program, whatever you wish to call it, has been going on for a hell of a long time. We've only begun just recently to start paying attention to it. 
And I have a great admiration for both Bud Hopkins and John Mack because those guys are right on top of what I know. this story is all about. But it's a worldwide phenomenon. It's been going on for a very long time, and people are only now beginning to pay attention. Yes, it appears that some of these little gray dudes are going around picking people up and taking samples of one thing or another. Impregnating women? Well, yes, it seems to be happening. Um, I don't know, Art. I'm, I'm not an expert, and I don't even pretend to be. I tell you that there are things I don't know the answers to. But I do believe that uh, abductions are ha happening, and I believe they've been going on for a long time. And, and the people are so disturbed that they need counseling. They need phone lines, like the one you've got to call up to get counseling. So if they're really doing that to us, Bob, then we ought to shoot at them. Well, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what are they doing messing with Earth women? Yeah, well, they're doing the same things we do. We do, we've been doing the same thing for a long time. Ah, all right. Again, with your background in theology, I've got two stories that are either encouraging or terribly discouraging. One that we've got a scientist near Chicago, who I'm dying to interview, who's going to clone in 90 days, unless somebody stops him, a human being. We've got scientists who have successfully switched monkeys' heads and are keeping them alive, you know. You know what I'm saying. Just switch yeah. to now. You take those technologies, the fact of their existence or just about their existence, and they can do it. And yeah, we're doing some, we're doing some pretty strange things down here on Earth. There's no question about it. How do you feel about our uh, meandering into these areas, these godlike areas? Huh? Well, Art, we meandered into this area about 15 to 20 years ago. It's nothing new. Uh. What's new is that the people are now just beginning to pay attention. Your government and mine, in its infinite wisdom, and I say your government because I don't know who the hell we're actually speaking about, they've been involved in human cloning and genetic research for well over 20 years now. I, You know what? I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. I, I've, I've said for a long time this has been going on in labs, secret labs. You, you can just bet on it. It's, it's like aircraft development. We, we don't know about a plane until it's already been flying for 15 to 20 years. It's the same thing with this uh, human genome project. We've been testing and, and coming up with answers for a hell of a long time. And none of that information has been released. This, this thing with that sheep, what do they call it, Dolly or something? Yeah, Dolly. That you know that that has that's nothing new that that that's old news. Well, I I certainly believe with all of the logic inside of me, Bob, that Dolly and now even this human cloning project, uh, these are in the private sector. Uh, our government, uh, with its eighty billion dollars of black project money, has been doing this kind of stuff for a long time. So I agree with that. Listen, Art, there is a positive side to this. Uh... Yeah. Genetic research. Right. What would, well, you mean with disease and so forth. Yeah. We, it, we, can, we can actually go in there and take the negative stuff out and put some positive stuff in. And just imagine what that's going to mean for the future of the human race. Well, I do imagine, and I'm not sure all of it's... I, I'm not comfortable with all of it, but maybe maybe I'll grow to be. I don't, I don't know. I, I can imagine... A big upside, and I can imagine a big downside, like with anything, like with with atomic power. If they can come up with something that can literally elimin eliminate most of our major diseases, yeah, 
uh, I'm all for it. I, I would like to see something to eliminate sickle cell anemia, for example. Cancer. And cancer. Heart disease. And the evidence that I have seen indicates that we've already made some enormous strides in that area. But what we've got to do is get it out into the light of day and get it out into the hands of the people so that it isn't abused, that we don't end up cloning human beings yep. and turning them into stupid soldiers to go out and kill each other. But isn't that what we'll do? I mean, God, do, you no. see, do you see any signs that the wars have stopped, that, that uh, our warlike nature has uh, changed? Do you see signs? Well, I see hopeful signs in Western Europe and in the United States. I see hopeful signs in the United Nations. I see hopeful signs even in the Middle East that there are rational and thoughtful people who are really beginning to pay some serious attention. We bounced back and forth, Bob, with Iraq and Iran. I know. Uh, we have sold Iraq biological stuff mm -hmm. that we're now is probably going to be used against us. Now Iraq's the enemy. We're spoiling for a fight again with Saddam. Yeah. And we're cozying up to Iran again. Uh, it's like an endless cycle. And I, I wish that I could be as optimistic as you. I'm, I'm not. I, I want to read you something, and uh, this will just take a second, then you can react to it. Here it comes. It's from Ken in Oregon. Art, I really enjoyed your guest last night, as I do tonight's, but I must take issue. First, when you asked the creationist last night if his faith would be shaken if UFOs were revealed to him as fact, though he was evasive, and you had to ask him twice, I don't recall him saying yes to his faith being shaken. Well, later in the program, I came back to that, uh, Ken, and he did finally give a bottom line yes. He goes on, tonight's guest is even more skewed in some respects, in my opinion. I am very interested in his experiences. That is until he begins twisting the different world religions into his UFO experiences. When Jesus said, I have other flocks, he could have been referring to the Gentiles, the American Indians, the Mayans, or life on other planets, but he did not state, quote, I have flocks on other planets. The theme of the Bible is the love of God and man's redemption through Christ not proof that UFOs are visiting us now? Admittedly, some of those Old Testament uh, things are absolutely described as UFOs. And I, of course, uh, quoted Ezekiel to him, and uh, he, he said he was stuck on that one. So he goes on, although many of the world's religions have common themes, in other words, differing but similar worldwide flood stories, the need for love for each other and so forth. The paths are different. The Jews await the coming of the Messiah for the first time. Christians, the second time. Hindus look forward to reincarnation. Buddhists seek nirvana. One would have to look very hard to find evidence of a common belief in UFOs in the different theologies. There you go. You want to tackle that one? <laughs> That's a pretty big challenge. Yeah. I'm, I, I have to reiterate something here. One, it must be understood clearly that much of what I share with you tonight is my own opinions after over 30 years of research. I'm not an expert, I'm not a world-class scholar, and I don't pretend to be. But I have done some homework, and I have done some deep research over the years, and I am convinced of the unity and the oneness of the human species. And I would rather approach this and look at our similarities... Than our differences. Than our differences. Mm -hmm. 
And I do believe that in every major philosophical theology uh, that there is a lot of common ground there, that we're not as distanced from the Jews or the Muslims or the Hindus or the Buddhists as we might think we are. Well, that's why you've got me to be Mr. Negative and Cynical. Um, I would say that the groups you just mentioned in the name of their various gods, have been killing each other and continue to do so today at an amazing rate. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's just a fact. I, yeah, that's a fact. Yeah. All right, look, I want to go to the phones, um, and let's see what the audience has to say. Uh, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Robert Odine. Where are you, please? Um, a suburb of uh, Chicago. All right. Um, I would like to talk to Ms. Rodine about uh, security clearances. And, okay. Um, it, it seems like every I've listened to your show for a long time, Art, and uh, a lot of the blockbuster big stories come out are from the military or from military bases. That, that's correct, yes. <clears throat> and um, what I would like to ask Ms. Rodine, why when... Um, there's, would you agree that there's literally thousands of people that have top secret clearances? Mr. Rodine? Yes. Um, would That's you true. agree with that? You, yeah, you said, yeah, true. Yeah, and so, you know, there's, um, the only way you can control this is something called a need to know. Exactly. Now, um, let's speculate for a moment that uh, the UFO uh, controversy Let's put this, let's say it's true and we put it on a scale of one to five. Um, how do you know that the need to know for the military isn't cut off at, say, four? Well, we know this, that the need to know for some of the military is cut off at whatever level. I've talked to generals and admirals who, frank, frankly, have not seen half of some of the stuff that I have. There are people who are not involved with the compartmentalist aspect of, of security. Right that uh, they could have a top-secret clearance and not know anything about what we've been talking about. And apparently that's been happening with the Joint Chiefs, and Ed Mitchell encountered that in July. That is a reality, and your point is well made. Uh, the security problem in this country, which we've created in our wisdom over the years, is literally a nightmare. Here's another thing that we've got to tackle, but we tackled it a little bit uh, on Monday night, Tuesday morning's program. And that is that we do have a big black budget, 80 billion, maybe more, who the hell knows, billions going into these black projects. Now, we also have in this country, and you, you know it better than anybody, a legitimate need for national security. Right. We have a legitimate reason to have secret projects probably to be doing things in space, probably to be developing Star Wars-type stuff, and I, I could go on and on and on. Legitimate, to protect our nation. Now, that is absolutely mixed in with the kind of open revelation that you're talking about with regard to the others. I mean, it's mixed in, and how do you separate it? How do you get together military guys who have taken oaths? You took an oath, right? Right. You're breaking that oath now, Indeed, right? Indeed, yes. Yeah. Um, so how do you separate real security needs so that we can tell the story that needs to be told without 
blowing national security? Answer that. Well, in my opinion, and that's all I can share with you, Art, is sure. that if this matter, this entire issue, would be placed back into the halls of Congress within our elected representatives who rep represent the people, that determination of what can be brought out and what should not be brought out could be made. At the moment, those decisions are being made by a, a select elite group of bureaucrats who are not elected. They're not responsible. They're not, they don't in any way report to either the American people or to Congress. And I think that is the problem we're, we're dealing with here. I believe that the congressional system, the constitutional system, mm -hmm. if it's used properly, could make the determination that there are some things that we should not let out. But damn it, I, I, I guess I'm old-fashioned. I believe that this government of this country is of and by and for the people. And I've, I've lived long enough that I can see that there are people who have misused this system, and uh, the people just are not being considered anymore. All right. And when our elected representatives don't even know what the hell is okay. going on. Okay, try this one out for size. We've been discussing the U.S. If they are real and they are here and they have been visiting for, well, maybe since we were created, then governments all over the world, the Russian government, the Chinese government, the British government, the French government, the Afri even the African government, a lot of governments I could think of, the Canadian government, all of these governments would have to be to some degree aware of this as well. So now you're talking just not about the U.S., right? but about a good portion of the world. Well, the indications are it is that this majestic group, whoever the hell they are or whatever they call themselves, is multinational. There's a strong indication that it's not just U.S., that there are representatives of some of the major world governments involved in this thing. Boy, that's some serious secret management. Boy, you tell me it is. <laughs> What's been going on in England? They've got an official secrets act over there that I, is, I is worse than our own. Oh, I, I, you're telling me they can shut me and do shut media down over there and say, oh, no, yeah. you will not broadcast that. Well, I, I would like to remind the American people, while I've got a little bit of their attention tonight, is that the agency, this famous Central Intelligence Group, back in 1991, published a special report for uh, Robert Gates. And they boasted about the fact that they have been able to persuade reporters to postpone, change, hold, or even scrap stories yep. that could have adversely affected the national security interests or jeopardized sources and methods. But who makes those decisions? You, you know, I would sure, I guess that is the $64 billion question. Exactly. Who makes those Who's decisions? spending all that black money? Oh, uh, Robert, hold on. We're at the bottom of the hour, and when we get back, we've got to really dive into the phones, all right? All right. All right, stay right there. Robert Odeen. It's been a... A couple of items, all right? Um, from Portland, Oregon, dear Art, ask Robert to please expand on what he read in the NATO documents on UFOs called the assessment. Well, how much time do we have left? This is radio. I have time. Give okay. me, give me well, the best version you can without, you know. 
Well, let me make it clear, if I can, Art, that the, my reading and my involvement with the assessment was simply a beginning for me. Much of the information that I've collected over the last 30, 35 years did not come from the assessment. But let's talk about what did. What did come from the assessment was enough to shake the hell out of me and everybody who saw it and read it. It affected a lot of our four-star generals and admirals because it concluded that we were not merely not alone, but we haven't been for a long, long time. They concluded in the study that there seemed to be some kind of a program or process underway. They didn't know what it was, but they could see that something was developing. They also learned in 64 that there were roughly four different groups we knew of at that time that were extraterrestrial. And that they determined, which was the primary reason for the study in the first place, that there did not appear, and I say repeat, did not appear to be a military threat involved. Because if these guys had been malevolent or hostile with the continually repeated demonstrations of their advanced technology, they would have cleaned our clock, as old Schwarzkopf likes to say, a yep. long, long time ago. Yep. Now, that was essentially it. One, something big seems to be happening. It involves extraterrestrial intelligence. It's been going on for a very long time, and it did not apparently appear to be malevolent or a threat of some kind. That in itself is enough to shake the hell out of you. I know that American Air Force four-star General Robert Lee, who was General Lemnitzer's air deputy at the time, was terribly affected by this thing. Where, where, where and when did you see this? I saw this in 1964 when it was finally published. We used to talk about it. The rumors went flying back and forth. They knew it was going on and it was underway. They published it in the summer of 64. They only published 15 copies of this thing. Copy number one went to the Secretary General of NATO. Copy number two went to General Lyman Lemnitzer, who was my boss, and was known as Sakur, the Supreme Allied Commander of Europe. Right. Copy three was placed in the vault in shock in the war room. That was the copy that I and a number of others who worked in there full time would pull out in the wee hours of the morning and read it and read it and go over it again and again. I asked you earlier what you would have testified uh, to had you gone to... Um back to Washington um, when, the opportunity, when the opportunity was there. Now, here's somebody in Richmond, Virginia, says, Art, please ask what more testimony he would have given to Congress that he has not yet spoken about over the air. You did, after all, allude to things that you haven't talked about on the air or anywhere else yet. So, Well, I'm going to tell you bluntly, and I may get my ass in the jam over this, but I am in possession of some classified material and some classified documents that have never been downgraded or declassified. Ooh. And I would have taken many of those things with me, and I would have presented them to this congressional group, and I would have shown them these things. And uh, I probably would be in jail by now. But I do have material, and it's not in my house here, and I make that point very clear. Good idea. I don't keep it under my bed. But I do have access, and I'm not the only one, Art. I, I'm one of a number of these old boys who okay, have what a number of things that uh, are very sensitive. Okay, you know I've got to ask. What does it say? I'm sorry? 
Well, you know, I've got to ask, what does it say? It says that we have not merely communicated with these guys, but we have some form of an ongoing relationship. And this is both from Central Intelligence Agency documentation, NSA documentation, and United States Air Force documentation. We have some kind of a relationship. Now, that's the thing that really ticks me off, because who made this agreement? Who made this decision? Who decided to have this relationship? Only Congress can do that. And apparently, Congress doesn't know anything about it. That's why I keep pushing for open hearings. I don't know, Art, at this point whether well, I'll mean, ever succeed. I may be long dead before this is ever resolved. You know, Bob, there are a lot of things that we say Congress doesn't know about, but that select members of the Senate, for example, do know about. Yeah. Now, it's not generally known uh, throughout Congress, but... There are select senators that are informed about things that the rest of the Senate doesn't have the slightest idea about. Well, when you've got a problem, Art, that's so serious where the chair of the Senate Appropriations Committee sent one of his personal staff members off to Groom Lake in Site 51 to try to find out what the hell was going on and where mm -hmm. some of this black budget money was going, mm -hmm. this representative of the Senate Appropriations Committee was was taken on a, a grand tour and shown absolutely nothing. You know, you heard the term blowing smoke. Yes. Well, they blew smoke. And this guy comes back. He has got one of the highest access security clearances in the country. And uh, he works for the... He works and he's presently working for the chairman of the Senate Appropriations Committee. Yeah, right. We know that. We don't Every know Every American taxpayer out there. Mm -hmm. But who is making the decisions to spend this? When the, when the senator who is chair of that committee wants to know what the hell's going on, sends his man out there, and they gave him the ring around the rosy treatment, and yep. he came back learning nothing. Yep. And I... I I'm tempted to give you his name, but I, I think that he himself needs to speak out about this. He's He's a brilliant man, and he's a trusted member of the Senate Appropriations Committee. Why do you think you're not in jail? I'm sorry? I said, why do you think you're not in jail now? Well, I've given that a lot of thought, and a, and a number of others have as well. The only conclusion I can come to is that I, I seem to be, or I think that I've been doing something that somebody wants me to do. Mm-hmm. I've got a big mouth, Art. I've been speaking out now for almost four years. Yeah, I know. Me too. I, I've... And I said the same question, and... Bob, the same question could be asked about me. In other words, hey, Art, how come the show is so big? How come it's so successful? How, how come... are you getting away with that? What you're doing? How are you getting away with it? That's exactly. right. People ask that all the time. And I, you know what? I come up with about the same answer. Well, maybe somebody wants me to be. Listen, I'm a realist. I... I spent a lot of years in the army and I've been places I should never have been and all that stuff. But I'm sure. They could shut me in a minute if they wanted to. Already. No question about it. I mean, I could have an accident. I could Heart have attack, a, a uh, coronary. Yep. Yep, you know, yep. these things can be arranged. I know. So I've concluded that apparently someone somewhere wants me to do what I'm doing. Now, there's a, a scientist in Connecticut that you probably have talked to and I think you probably have interviewed. And that's Michael Wolf. 
Wolf tells me that his connections tell him that they do know exactly what I'm doing, and they are supporting what I'm trying to do. I'm not exactly surprised by that. I, I'm really not. And that, that, that's the only logical answer. Otherwise, uh, we would be talking about Robert O'Dean, you know, who unfortunately had a heart attack, uh, deceased. That's, yeah. that's right. So that's exactly The, the late right. Robert O'Dean. That's yeah. right. All right. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air with the current Robert O'Dean. Hello? Yes. All right. Glad to be on the air. Yes, sir. Now, first of all, I'd like him to ask. I also was in the government, and I was wondering if he also believes that the government is just a contractor for the exclusive businessmen of the world. In other words, the richest men of the world use the government just as a contractor to get things done that they want. And does he believe that? Okay. Well, <laughs> you've got a point. I, I won't tell you that I believe that, but my, my question is, who are the hell are we talking about when we talk about the government? I used to think it was Congress, the President, uh, the House of Representatives, the Senate. You know, I was taught years ago in school that we have three basic branches of government, the judicial, the uh, legislative, and the executive. But we seem to be talking about something else, and I, that's the problem that I am angry about. When we talk about government, who in the hell are we talking about? Your point is well made. Who, who is making these decisions? Who, who's sitting at the top of this pyramid? That, that's the thing the Joint Chiefs, I think, are troubled about. That's what some of the major senators, like the chairman of the Appropriations Committee, is troubled about. We can't seem to get a handle on who these guys are. Uh, I know this, that it is indeed a multi-agency, multinational thing. But your idea about the big businesses and the banks of the world controlling it, I, I hope you're wrong. Then, Robert, why wouldn't FEMA be an arm of that? Well, FEMA was created by the Senate and the House of Representatives. Mm. Uh, actually, FEMA has its power as a result of an executive order that President Nixon gave a number of years ago. I know, but it would be an ideal agency. Well, yes, it would. But the, <laughs> from the guys that I've known and worked with in FEMA, uh, I don't seem to see that kind of black power. I don't seem to see that malevolence. The guys that I've known and gone to school with and, and trained with were basically good guys. I mean, they were... They were patriotic Americans, and they were basically honest, and uh, right. they were trying to do a decent job. Right Now, if there is indeed a black cabal out there of, of world banking business, damn it, we need to confront that. Maybe that's the area that we've got to, All right. to open up and bring into the light of day. All right. Wild card line, you're on the air with Robert O'Dean. Good morning. Hello from cyberspace. Cyberspace. Hey, yes, that's where I am. Uh, it's an honor and a thrill to speak to two American heroes, and I do mean that. Um, quickly on the FEMA issue, I think according to, I think it's Executive Order Number 12919, with FEMA being able to take control of pretty much everything. Just keep in mind that if the people that are currently in the offices were to step out, the infrastructure would be there for someone else to use. Um, and I do have two questions uh, for your guest. Yeah, go ahead. Um, the first is, in reference, I, I, I hope he will elaborate more upon the incredible work of Sitchin um, as far as the Anunnaki and the return of the 12th planet. My two questions are, um, A, could the 
visitors who often appear as tall reptiles, sometimes with the greys, actually be the Anunnaki returning uh, to the uh, basically mankind that they may have created, as seen in all of the uh, Old Testament, Enuma Elish, Mayan, etc. And secondly, if the second face at Sidonia, which has been identified, could actually represent the Anunnaki, with the first face representing the Cro-Magnon uh, precursor of mankind. They're pretty heavy-duty questions, but I think if your, your viewers will go to the Internet and look at those two issues, a second face, face two at Sidonia, and the work of Sitchin, it will absolutely blow their minds, um, especially all of the entire Earth Chronicles from Sitchin, which you know have frankly been pulling my brain through a, a pin and redefining everything uh, and how I think you can look at, at past history as it's recorded. All right. Well, sounds like you'll get agreement here. Uh, Bob? Well, it's not only interesting to hear that, that caller, because he's obviously somebody who's done his homework. I spoke to Zechariah about four weeks ago up in Phoenix, and uh, he flatly tells me that the Anunnaki are back. He believes that they have reactivated their, their bases on Mars. And as a matter of fact, the Russian Phobos uh, mission actually photographed an active facility up there that came across in the infrared. Very clearly, it's, it's obviously uh, generating a lot of heat, and it's under the surface. Zechariah is convinced it is the Anunnaki again. You know, there and was... He's al also convinced that the Anunnaki are probably the ones that look very much like us, not the, uh, not the lizards. There was also, Bob, a photograph uh, taken at the very last second before destruction of a Russian um, probe to Mars of a gigantic craft uh, I mean this thing snapped it just before there was either a collision or it was destroyed or whatever a Russian probe Yeah, that picture does exist out there well there's a couple of photographs uh, I got a copy from Marina the, uh, the lady cosmonaut that's been outspoken about this and the one thing they photographed was roughly 16 kilometers long yeah the other photograph that the Phobos mission took was of a gigantic shadow on the surface of Mars, of a streamlined, enormous object that apparently was casting a tremendous shadow, and they photographed that on the surface. So this is part of some of the material that we've got in this, uh, this video we've put together. And if I can tell you that one more time... Uh, you may indeed. Uh, you have videos for one, say. 888 338-8581. And I'm told that if you guys order and get a hold of uh, Joseph Bergeron over at Morgana Nanogram, that Cecilia will send off a, a free reading list and a free congressional uh, certificate, uh, what do they call it here, uh, initiative. We're trying to get people to sign up and, uh, right. and be a part of this thing. All right. Um, so the material is there, and there's another point I want to make, Art, that I don't want anybody tonight to believe a damn thing I've said simply because I've said it. I simply want people to go out and do their own homework, and uh, I want them to inform themselves, and, and I think that getting a hold of these reading lists and getting a hold of some of these videos might be a good good place to start. Yeah, it might be. Um East of the Rockies, you got to bite in somewhere. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Robert O'Dean. Hello. Hi, Art. Um, where, is, where are you? Um, this is Dan from uh, uh, Fort Worth, Texas. All right. Um, I had a couple of questions for Robert, if I would. Go. Um, you were speaking.
speaking about the Majestic 12 or whatever they're called now, um, do they employ men in black? Well, apparently they do. Who is it that's paying the bills up to those yo-yos over at Site 51? If, uh, if A is true that there is this group, there would have to be, whether you call them men in black or you call them something else, there would have to be an active arm of containment for that group. That, that's logical, right? Well, we know Wachenhut has a lot of power and authority that uh, they sure didn't get through congressional decisions. Yeah, that's, that's a fact. So who the men in black are, I don't really know. It's a generic name. They, they might yeah, not. Yeah, I know. <laughs> anyway, caller? Okay, uh, the other question I had is uh, what he thought about crop circles. Ah, a good question. Um, that, too, was brought up Monday night on the program. Uh, crop circles... Uh, they, they really are a complete mystery. Doug Ruby has done a lot of good work. I interviewed Doug Ruby, a lot of other people. Any idea? Any guesses? Well, my own personal opinion is the crop circles are a, a definite form of communication by an advanced intelligence. Now, I've talked to a lot of guys who go out and make phony crop circles. Yep. That's been going on for a long time, but... Uh, the real ones are kind of complicated and very intricate, and there's some aspects to them that no no guys with a bunch of boards and string can really pull off. And so I've concluded many times, many years ago, that... The that there is some there are communication. They are a form of communication, and I think we need to pay attention. I okay. think an advanced intelligence is trying to get our attention, get us to wake up and start... To, asking some proper questions here. All right, Robert, hold it right there, um, and we'll do a final hour in a moment uh, in most markets. I want to read this. Hi, Art, Dick, and Dick uh, here in Hawaii. Dick is wor works for a major media outlet in Hawaii. Art, if you want interesting information on the flu, you should contact Ed Dames. He's currently staying with a person, a doctor, I won't give his name, on the big island of Hawaii. Last year, I met with Ed Dames and Joni at, Ed, at uh, this person's house in Hilo. He showed me top-secret briefing eyes only for President Clinton prepared by officials at Centers for Disease Control. They warned Clinton about a coming influenza pandemic. They were talking about requiring shots for everybody, predicting the possibility of a 10% mortality rate. Art, I saw it with my own eyes. Ed showed it to me because we were at a party drinking wine, and I mentioned that I'm a health reporter. Ed, always something of a prankster, <laughs> said, you want a health story? I'll show you something. And he pulled, out the, uh, the, he pulled the briefing out of his briefcase. He would not let me copy, copy it. Give Ed a call or me. And uh, Dick gives me his number. So again, take of this information, some of it pretty far out on a limb regarding this flu or whatever the hell it is with a grain of salt. But I keep getting these faxes, and I'm reading them to you as I get them. Uh, it, now, again, none of it may be true. Well, no, I, I know a lot of it's true, but a lot of the farther out stuff may not be. However, I am tempted to give Dick a call, see if he'd go on the air with this. And here's the man it came from in Hawaii. This, uh, you want to give him your name, uh, Dick? Uh, I'm sorry. Say I'm sorry, Dick. Uh, say it again. Dick Allgaier. I'm a medical reporter at KITV. 
at KITV. And I'm a fan of yours, and uh, I've, I'm an acquaintance of Ed Dames. KITV is in Hawaii, Honolulu? Yeah. yeah. My credentials are, uh, I'm a reporter. I, I could uh, send you uh, a video image of the awards I've won. I won the Distinguished Medical Reporting Award uh, given by the Hawaii Medical Association in 1983, 94, and 95. So okay. I'm a mainstream ABC affiliate reporter. And I am a, I have some trepidation about telling you this because I have not verified this. I have not called the CDC, but I did see some papers with my own eyes. I was at a party with Ed Dames, and I was uh, talking about remote viewing, and I wanted to become a student of remote viewing. Remote viewing. Okay, I don't think we want to say where. Uh, it was yeah, it was just at a party somewhere. Okay, there in the island. Ed Dames was there in the, in the islands. Oh, Ed Dames is going to kick my behind if he doesn't want this out. Anyway, right, well, okay, but we're not going to say where in the islands, you know. Okay. So. But just the fact that he showed me this paper. What did he show you? Um, I was talking with him and mentioned that I was a medical reporter, and he says, "You want a good medical story? Here's a good medical story." And he took me in a room and opened his briefcase and took out a uh, set of briefing papers that said, Top Secret Eyes Only President Clinton. And it was labeled the coming influenza pandemic. And I said, well, let me have a copy of this. He right. said, no, no, no. <laughs> but he let me look at it, and I ran in the bathroom and took a pen and paper and wrote what I could remember. Uh, it was a list of influenza uh, infectious disease specialists and uh, directors and heads of various departments at the Centers for Disease Control. And the gist of the briefing paper was that there was a possibility of a very serious influenza pandemic coming, and they were talking about the possibility of requiring uh, vaccine, vaccinations for everyone, for the entire population. Mm -hmm. uh, they mentioned the possibility of 10% mortality. I saw this in January of 97. January of 97? January of 97, yeah. You would probably have to talk to Mr. Dames. What did you do with it? <clears throat> well, as I said, I couldn't get a copy of it, uh, so I wrote down... What notes and notes and took them with me and I'm a local reporter and I you know for me to take on something with the CDC we just don't have the resources for me to go to Atlanta and start trying to nail these people down I thought of calling them and just never got around to it all right I kind of forgot about it until I start hearing about all this uh, whatever in the hell it is yeah it's an interesting aside would you ask Robert Dean something for me um you can ask Robert Dean something yourself Robert Okay. Yes, Dick in Hawaii wants to ask you a question. Hello, Dick. Um, I've seen your video, and it's very good. I was very impressed. And there's a point that you make on that that you have not made on the program tonight. And it's something that I've experienced personally because I'm, I've been trained as a remote viewer. I have seen things at a distance that the only way I could do this is if there's something more to us than our physical bodies. And a point that you make in your video is that we are essentially spiritual beings, and I'd like you to talk about that. All right. Uh, and so we'll show when we get back. But, Dick, do me a favor. You're a health reporter. Look, I'm inundated with a pandemic of faxes and emails about this flu thing.
I don't know what to make of it, heads or tails. People are telling me that things are going on that are not being reported nationally. Well, I saw it on CNN that oh, they're swamped yeah. in Southern California. This was a yeah. few days after it was reported on your show. That's right. That's right. They began to pick up on that, and now we're hearing about other areas, and there's just something really wrong with this story. I, I can't put my finger on it, but I figure while I had a health uh, reporter on my program, I should ask. Well, I know a lot of doctors that maybe I can ask on the, you know, sly. What, Would you what, do is, that? Is something going on if you had an alert? Would you do that for me? I'll do that. I'll get back to you. I'll fax you if I find anything out. Thank you, Dick. Okay, and Robert, I'd like to hear about the... the that's, isn't that the big thing about the UFO situation is the, is the revelation that we're not just mortal beings? Yeah. All right. That that, uh, we're, we'll get to that as soon as we get back on the air, Dick. All okay. Right? I, I've got a couple things I've got to do. Thank you. That's Dick in Hawaii. Mainstream reporter in Hawaii. Uh, we will ask that question in a second. The Ken Roberts Company teaches people how to invest to Robert O.D. And the question was, and it's a good one, that the real answer to all of this is that we are more than our physical bodies, that we are spiritual beings in every sense of the word, and connected to those who we are talking about visiting us in that sense, ultimately. Robert? Well, I'm glad Dick brought the question up. I uh, I speak out pretty bluntly about this whenever I get a chance because this is another one of my major conclusions after over 35 years of research, that the spiritual component to the UFO matter is, in my opinion, the overriding major issue, which is probably why that uh, it's so damned sensitive and why the government does not know how to address this sort of thing. Some of the communications we've had with some of our friends out there, and I've seen quite a bit of it, they indicate to us that we are indeed immortal souls with temporary bodies. They call the bodies containers. And uh, we've gotten that from a number of different sources, and uh, you know, I don't I got know that. why that would shock the hell out of people. i got to tell you something. You, I got that ten years ago. Yeah. Ten years ago. You know who f from? John Lear. Really? Yeah, John Lear. Bill, Bill Lear's son? Well, I know John. I, I have a lot of respect for him. That's where to use containers. But uh, the point is that I think that the spiritual component is indeed the overriding major issue. And that is why it's so damned delicate. How, how, does, how does government deal with that kind of thing? That's always been the, something that our theologians would deal with. But now we're going to find that our science... And our theological philosophies are going to be coming together. And that's, that's a new world. And that's a new beginning. All right, here's quite a challenge. I'll read it. We'll deal with it. Art, it's from Dusty. Uh, it says, If Mr. Odin really wants to blow the lid, in quotes, off this whole UFO issue within 24 hours, are you, Art, willing to post his documents, the ones that are not under his bed, on your website? Yeah, I'm, I'm crazy enough or dumb enough to do that. Mr. Odin? <laughs> Somebody wants me to go to jail real bad here, I can tell. Art, my point has been, and the point of the 200 guys in our old boys' network is, 
that all of us will come forward with what we've got, not only in our experiences, but with the material we have. I, I've even got I've got pieces of UFOs in my collection that, that are legitimate, that are real. I've never gone public with some of that stuff. Uh, some of the classified documents that I have access to, I've never gone public with. Yeah, if we but we're willing to do it, Art, if we can get an open congressional hearing that will give us immunity from prosecution and will be open so that the American people can hear every damn word that is said. Yes, I will proceed to show up in Congress with all of that material, and I will lay it on the table as evidence. One, two, three, four, eight. You're, you're just saying you uh, to come out by yourself now to post this up on the web, for example, you're going to end up in jail, period. I probably would, because possession of classified know, documents that have not been downgraded in its, itself is a felony. I know. Publishing now, them is I, one, I'm not two, a stupid man, and... Uh, I've walked a very thin line for some time, and I know what I can get away with and what I can't. And uh, giving this material to you would get you and I both probably in a real jam. Well, I'd send a, a cake with a knife in it to Keith because he'd go to jail for me. <laughs> <laughs> you ever get to when you want to do question, it? It's a good question. Is that I'll I'll show what I've got. If I can get an open congressional hearing with uh, congressional immunity from prosecution. All right. There's about 100 of us, 180 of us in this group that will do the same thing. All right. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Robert Odeen. Hello. Yes, uh, KCMO listener. In uh, Kansas City or somewhere nearby? That's correct. All right. And uh, I I have, uh, I'm unnamed. Uh, I got a comment to make, and I think... uh, Bob should be all right. Well, I think we just lost our caller. Uh, too bad. I don't know which comment was, but you hung up on yourself. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Robert Odin. Hi, Art. Hello. Hi, Robert. My question is, um, if these beings are fourth dimensional or tenth dimensional or whatever they are, it seems to me that aligning yourself with um, oh, a, a primitive fundamentalist religious group here on Earth and trying to change them or trying to change a, a power-driven government or a world government or secret group or whatever is kind of foolish. Wouldn't you rather align yourself with a more advanced spiritual alien being? Uh, for betterment of the earth. Well, your point is very well made, and uh, I would you an choose answer, the alien, I, frankly. I, I agree with you that that is my whole point. That is my purpose, and that is the direction I've been trying to take. I was asked at a conference here not too many months ago uh, because of some of the things I had said. Uh, a church-going gentleman with a Bible under his arm asked me, uh, "Who the hell am I?" He says, "Are you a Christian?" And I said, you know, I I like to think of myself as a Christian because I try to live my life according to the teachings of that beautiful young man in Galilee. Well, that's not good, and I'll tell you what they say. They say, the fundamentalists say, that's not good enough. You're not a Christian. Don't you call yourself a Christian. But let me tell you something else. I, I also consider myself a Hindu. I consider myself a Jew. I consider myself a Buddhist. Mm. And I consider myself a Muslim. And what I consider myself more than anything else is a human being from the planet Earth. And your answer or your comment 
is exactly the direction that I hope to be taking, and I try to make that point every chance I get, that I am aligning myself with the future of the human race, that I believe in the future of the human species. And I think the time has come where we have got to get away from all of this this differences and this religious infighting and this bloodletting and this savagery, and regardless of what church we go to. Okay, Robert, but let's go back a little bit. You know the papers you say you've got? Yeah. Remember the Pentagon Papers? Oh, yes. How's this any different? Well, it's different in the sense that the implications of it are a hell of a lot more risk-seeking yes. than okay, the Pentagon I'll, Papers. Yeah, okay, I'll buy that, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. But, I mean, you said you're 69 years old. Yeah. You going to die with those papers? No. Oh, no. No, I've got some arrangements made that if anything happens to me, those papers are going to be mailed directly to a member of the Senate. A member of the Senate? That's right. How about the Washington Post, New York well, Times, L.A. Times? I don't know that I trust the Post that me. much. Me? I've uh, I've been interviewed by the Washington Post a couple of times, and I, I I'm not a little pleased with uh, their treatment of this subject. Yeah, they're ca they're coming out to interview me on February third. Are you? Yeah. Well, push their nose to the wall, Art. And, and <laughs> they're probably going to push my nose into the well, wall. Well, <laughs> tell them again, as I've told them many times, that this is no joking matter. This is no laughing matter, and get away with the damn ridicule and let's address this. Well, what I mean is, though, if you really are going to, on your demise, have a mailing, it ought to go to the media. Maybe it ought to go to me. I don't know. Maybe it ought to go to the L.A. Times, uh, the New York Times, Chicago Sun-Times. Well, let me tell you something. Just from the comment you just made, some of it's going to go to you. I can arrange that tomorrow. Oh, really? Oh, really, yes. How are you, about, how are you going to deal with that, old buddy? Well, you'll find out. I don't know. We'll see. Keith's going well, to jail. I won't be around to find out. I trust you. All right. Uh, okay. All right. He's to the Rockies. You're on the air with Robert O'Dean. Hello. Hi, Robert. Hi, Art. Hi. From uh, Bettendorf, Iowa. Yes, sir. Uh, my name's Dan. I've got a question for Robert, and I just uh, it's something that I remember as a kid. I had some relatives that uh, were uh, with the military out at Edwards Air Force Base mm. in 64. Yeah. And they said that there was a uh, actual scramble and a shoot-down. And one of my relatives happens to have uh, some wreckage, supposedly, that they had taken up out of the bay or far out of the bay in San Francisco in 64. Are you aware of anything that had happened around that time period? Well, there sure are some stories about Edwards. Um, I'm not familiar with that one. Are you, Rob? He used to call Muroc years ago. And uh, there has been a lot of activity going on over there. And Gordon Cooper, who is a man I greatly admire, has flatly come out and stated that a UFO came and landed while he was there one time, and it's all on film. Well, my, my relatives tell me, that uh, there is a hillside out in Edwards that opens up, and the aircraft go right into the hillside, and then the hillside closes back up again. I'm not at all surprised to hear that. I know we've got one of those facilities over at S4 at uh, Papu's Lake. Yeah, I interviewed Lazar again not long ago. Big, yeah. long interview, too. Well, Bob is pretty straightforward. Uh, a lot yes, of people criticize him, but I think he's telling basically a true story. Uh-huh. All right. But those those bases are not uncommon. The, gen the Germans developed them during the Second World War. 
where a plane can literally become sure. airborne before it leaves the hangar, and the door opens and out it goes. We've just taken so up on that. The Germans who we brought over here after the war on Operation Paperclip. Boy, would that be something to see. They showed us how to do it. Yeah, yeah that would really be something to see. Uh, well, you may see it one day. First time caller line, you're on the air with Robert Odin. Hello. I, uh, I'm wondering if your guest or any listeners might be aware of or possibly had any kind of contact with uh, spiritual beings, energies, uh, within our humanity's uh, dream life. Huh? I haven't heard of any uh, people being contacted in their dreams, perhaps initially, or just contacted, period. Well, there have been a lot of, <laughs> a lot of reports. I've had, I don't know how many guests who talk about out-of-body travel. Now, that winds into the remote viewing. It, rem it winds into the spiritual aspect of this whole thing. And there are a million people who would tell you stories of contact. So I'm not exactly sure where that caller was coming from. Uh, but, Robert, there's uh, stories out there we could tell until time ends. Oh, listen, Ray Moody's got some tales to tell, and you I bet. believe her. This, uh, every, uh, this is Ron in Bremerton, Washington. Okay. That's to do with everything that uh, Robert's been talking about this evening and the gentleman that was just on the line. Okay, we don't have a lot of time, so go. Okay, I'd spoken with you before about sitting in the front room of my house and then all of a sudden finding myself at my father's house. Yeah. Oh, yes. I, re I recall. Yes. You had sort of cut me off a little early. Well, it's going to um, happen again if you don't. So get it out. Okay. Um, there was a ball of light when I was found, found myself all of a sudden standing in my, my father's driveway in California. Right. Along with all kinds of different sizes and shapes of Uf UFOs. And uh, there wasn't words being said, but uh, there was just overpowering sense of love and joy. And that, uh, okay, well, then, that, that then is, uh, I've got to cut you off again, that's contact. Uh, that is what the last caller was talking about, and lo and behold, we get another caller who uh, fills in the blanks. Yeah, there's been a lot of contact of that kind. How many stories have we heard? Thousands and thousands. By the way, if you want a copy of this program, it's a four-hour job or do at 1-800-917-4278. That's 1-800-917-4278. But I'm going to keep reading these until I get uh, some action on it. Hi, Art. I am a security officer at a large retirement community in Charlotte, North Carolina. In the past few weeks, every time we've transported one of our residents via 911 for medical reasons, the ambulance has been rerouted because our hospitals are full of flu patients. This is quite a situation that concerns many. Jeff in Charlotte. I'm telling you, I'm being inundated. It's a pandemic of faxes. Now, maybe this is something that we ought not worry about, but I, I'm i telling you the size of the response I'm getting to this tells me that there is a story here that is not being fully told. I, I, I really can't say any more about that. I don't know about dames and secret documents or any of the rest of it. But sure as hell, there's something going on here, folks. And I don't think we're being told the all of it. Not to mention what Robert O'Dean is telling us. By the way, I talked to Keith, and he said, yeah, yeah, we'll put it up. There was kind of a catch. 
and a hesitancy to his voice, but he'll put it up. One uh, one time not very long ago, we had a April Fool's joke, and we did a... Keith had a... It was just a... A joke. It was a, a page we put up that was a... Uh, a joke, and it had a, a fake FBI seal on there, and the FBI called us up and said, take it down or else. So, of course, we took it down. But it was a parody. It was just a parody. It was after the Heaven's Gate thing, but they weren't kidding. So, I mean, you know, there's risks in life, and I'm, I'm willing to take one. So is Keith, I guess. So if you ever decide you want to dump that stuff, go ahead. We'll put it up. Robert. Well, I'm, you're going to be on my mailing list now. <laughs> All right. Um, here they come. First time caller line. You're on the air with Robert Odine. Hello. Hi. It's uh, John in Peterborough, Ontario, just uh, 85 miles northeast of Toronto. Hi, John. Canada. Yes, sir. Yeah, listen. Um, it's funny you should talk about all the flu and stuff because for the last week we've got news reports locally that uh, they're um, um, inoculating all the kids at the schools in Kitchener-Waterloo, which is between Detroit and Toronto. I'm not surprised. And, uh, oh, it, it, last year was the same thing, but it was in Ottawa, our, our national capital. Uh, now it's down there. Yeah, but it's getting really weird this year. I know. I mean, really weird. Anyway, do you have a question for my guest? Yeah, I, w I just wanted to know if he ever read um, The Gods of Eden by William Bramley. Okay. Yes, John, it's one of my favorite books. Yeah, I wrote to him, and he wrote me back. Yeah. It's it's one of the books on my recommended reading list that I will be more than happy to send you if you uh, want to buy that tape. I think it's an important book. I, uh, I've i talked to Bramley a few times, and I, I don't agree necessarily with everything he says, but he's done his homework, and there's some pretty uh, pretty frightening things in there, which indicates that we have been involved in one way or another with extraterrestrial intelligence for one hell of a long time. Oh. Now, whether it's all benevolent or whether there might be some aspects to it that are not, I guess we're going to have to wait and see. Pretty important question. It is a good question, and uh, I recommend people read Bramley's book. It's... No, I didn't mean that. I meant whether or not they're friendly. Yeah, well, you see... In the infinity of space, for God's sake, we, we've got to understand that we're probably dealing with some that are and some that may not be. Yep. The history of the human race is filled with uh, references to some guys who apparently show up from time to time that are not very nice. But that's the reality of life in this universe. We've got some people on this planet that are not very nice. We sure do. A lot of them are in elected office, too. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Robert Odine. Yes, hi, Art Bell. Hi, Major Dean. I'm Bill from West Hartford, Connecticut. Hi, Bill. I have two questions for you. Please let me ask my second question, Art, before you cut me off. Question number one, question number one, there is the Mars Global Surveyor around Mars right now. My first question is, do you think it likely that sometime this year, 1998, or next year, 1999, the Mars Global Surveyor will take close-up photos of the face on Mars and NASA will make it public? Do I think so? Yes, hopefully. I'm hopeful that they will, we'll get some stuff. I, I'm a good friend of Richard Hoagland, and I, I know Dick has not a lot of confidence in NASA. Where they've lied to us so damn many times, we don't know whether we're going to get the truth from them or not. Hmm. For example, that Mars observer, whatever it was that we put out there some time back, 
From what I'm told by the guys over at JPL, it is, it's operational and it's still in orbit. But we were told that we can't even communicate with it anymore. So your answer is, I hope so, caller. Second question. Second question. I have a fantastic thought. My second question. Because the, uh, uh, with alien abductions, because these beings, if indeed it is true what is going on, they seem to interact genetically with human beings, it means either one of two things. Either A, as you suggested, they created us and we came from them. Therefore, they can, uh, copulate with us or in some way genetically manipulate us. Or my other theory, which I'm sure you may never have heard of, is that they are connected with the earth in another way. For example, I'll make it brief. Dr. Michio Kaku talks about uh, different universes, different dimensions, different timelines. Suppose these beings came from our Earth of another timeline where, for example, that asteroid that we know hit the our, our Earth 65 right. million years ago, in their Earth, their timeline, it missed the Earth entirely. And these are descendants of the dinosaurs who have lived 65 million more years and evolved into intelligence. All right, well, I've got it. Uh, Bob, you've got it. I've heard that. Yes, I'm, fam of course, familiar with that possibility that they're not from elsewhere, that they're from some other timeline and or dimension, it's got to be considered as possible unless you have absolute evidence of other, otherwise. I think there's infinite possibilities out there, Art. When we finally grow up as a species in a race, we're going to have to address some of that, and I think that we're not yet old enough to really confront some of that. But we will. No, I, I think that's right, too. That goes way back to earlier in the show. West of the Rockies, you're on there with Robert Odin. Hello. Hi. This is very exciting, and this is a privilege. Um, my name is Chris. I'm calling from uh, the Kingdom of Light. <laughs> I'm calling from California. California. Okay. I have a two-part question. The first one is actually what gets me the most excited. Um, so why don't I start with part two? <laughs> part two is how big is the black budget that we uh, is an, an account for? Well, we already talked about the number of eighty billion dollars. It yeah. might be more, might be less. Who knows? Okay. And uh, the second question, which is a lot more exciting, is which is really your first question? Well, yeah, right. Which is uh, speculation. Um, could it be that those aliens that uh, are in contact with us or with some of us? Um, and have made a, I'm talking about the good aliens, hopefully, and have made a, con a secret contract with some people, maybe in the secret government, have finally decided that those people that they've made a contract with are no longer trustworthy, that they are leading the planet to destruction, that they're violating the spiritual laws, and they've decided to switch sides, which is why what's going on now with the two of you and more people is actually going on. That's really a good one. Um, uh, Bob, do you think that uh, those who have been in this deal or in communication have given up on the cabal that you, we've been talking about all night long, this group? Well, if they haven't lost patience with that bunch, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit surprised because <laughs> I've lost patience with them myself. I talked to Robert Bigelow here some time back about that very thing, and, and Bigelow agreed that our, our friends out there, our, our family out there that we're dealing with, has an agenda of their own. And regardless of whose agenda we keep talking about here on the planet, that that agenda these guys have is the one that's going to be followed. Mm -hmm. And if, if they intend to communicate and educate and prepare us, by their own time schedule, I think that's the one that's going to be followed, whether 
the guys here in the cabal agree with it or not. So I think that probably there is a separate agenda, and they may have given up on that bunch of yo-yos. I know I have. Well, it's going to be a wild year if that's true. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Robert Odine. Hello. All right, good morning. Good morning. Where are you? This is Marty calling from Oakland, Camden County, New Jersey. I just have one question for your guest. Sure. Uh, Mr. Odine. Yes, Marty. Um, you stated earlier that a saucer-type craft, uh, flying saucer, uh, crashed, landed, whatever, in northern Germany in 1964, and that the craft was found intact by the British. Uh, one simple question, where is that craft today? Okay. Well, according to what I saw in the report, when I saw pictures of them taking it apart, they apparently brought it out on, in pieces on low boys, and the report indicated that it had been sent to United States facility in Ohio. Huh. And, of course, my conclusion is that that was probably right, Patterson. So they got it apart. The, the British Engineer Battalion that retrieved this, they, the, the in, incident occurred near Timmonsdorfer Strand on the Baltic Sea. Mm -hmm. And back in those days, the British Army had the authority in that, that section of Germany. And their Engineer Battalion took the damn thing apart, and the indications were that it was sent to a large U.S. facility in Ohio. Uh-huh. Okay, thanks a lot. You bet. Uh, then, of course, there's Roswell. There's uh, crashes that I know have occurred in South Africa. We're running out of storage space, Art. Uh, I was going to about to say, uh, there's got to be this giant junkyard of E.T. artifacts, uh, some levels below right path somewhere. we got some much hardware stashed here and there that we really are running out of storage space. <laughs> Art, there's a point I wish to make, if I may. You may. Uh, everyone keeps calling me Odin. O is my middle initial. That's right. My last name is Dean. Right. And and although the connection with the Irish is is uh, <laughs> complimentary, I'm 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 not an Irish. Not not Irish. It's uh oh, but uh, but everybody when they talk about you says your middle initial. Yeah. Why 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 is that? I have no idea. But I my name is Robert Dean and my middle initial is O, but you can call me anything you want as long as you call me on time for dinner. Well, most of the people who have faxed me and emailed me all use Robert O. Dean. Now, that's right. It's your middle initial. I knew that's that. That's correct. Uh -huh. uh, so just because everybody refers to you that way, I've been doing it, too. No problem. No problem. We can call you Bob. Please do. All right, Bob. Wildcard Line, you're on the air with Bob. Uh, hello. How you doing, Art? <laughs> okay. This is Randy calling from Santa Cruz. Uh, i got a, a couple comments and a uh, question. Yes. Uh, Robert, I really get a kick out of these uh, typical UFO media hounds uh, when it comes to UFOs and extraterrestrials. One typical debunking method that I've become used to is from the mainstream UFO documentaries is they'll say if extraterrestrials actually traveled to Earth from thousands of light years away, it would take an enormous amount of energy. But who says they came from thousands of light years away? I find it way more likely they are our next-door neighbors or or our landlords, one of those two. <laughs> also, Robert uh, and Art, uh, I, there was a show called In Search of, uh, hosted by Leonard Nimoy. Oh, sure. And uh, uh, Geode Rock was found and split open by some students from UCLA. And uh, it, it was found to have a small, anomalous, machine-like object petrified in the middle of it. Uh, I've never heard about that again. I've never heard it mentioned on any shows. 
and it basically that they took that series off the air. And uh, maybe uh, in the future you'll ask uh, Spock if you get him back on. Also, Mr. O'Dean, or, or I'm sorry, Mr. Dean, uh, on the UFOs uh, that are either triangular or boomerang-shaped, uh, such as the Belgium Triangles, uh, in the early 90s, the Hudson Valley Chevron, do you remember that? And the oh, Phoenix yes. Boomerang and Arts Triangle. Do you think these UFOs are the Anasakis? The what? The, uh, oh, oh, okay. Um, Bob? Well, my opinion is that they're extraterrestrial. I'm, I'm convinced we've probably got some pretty incredible technology of our own. There's a lot of indications that we're flying stuff out there that is really anti-grav. Well, I've seen it. But these big things that we see over Belgium and the ones that showed up over the Hudson Valley, and now they're showing up over northern England. And uh, we had I've, a I've good... seen it, Bob. I've seen it. I had one fly 150 feet over my head. It didn't fly. It floated. It was anti-gravity. There's no question about it. And you think it was ours? I, I have no idea whose it was. Well, I'm just I think telling you, I saw, it, some of that art. I saw it close up. Yeah. You know where I live. But these big ones that we see over Belgium and the Hudson Valley and all, I think those are some of our friends from out there. Well, I hope they're our friends. Yeah. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Bob. Yeah, Bob, uh, this is Vince in Chicago. Um, Hi, Vince. I was wondering if you have any information that might link uh, the Phoenix UFO lights incident this past March ah. with the uh, Cheyenne Mountain uh, episode we had. Uh, Story of the guys who took off from Cheyenne Mountain with their families and went to South America. Right, I mean, we also had that DEFCON 4 at Cheyenne Mountain about a month after the Phoenix Lights this year. Yeah, we, do... we did, and I thought that was incredibly weird. It's true, we were at a higher DEFCON status, and they never really adequately explained any of that. I don't know what the hell went on. Uh, let's begin with the Phoenix Lights. Do you have any assessment of those? Well, I've seen some film of them, and it's a pretty damned impressive object. That it we've certainly seen. is. I mean, the thing was apparently over uh, over a mile from one side to the other. And uh, if, if we've got hardware like that, we, we're a hell of a lot farther along than I think we are. Yep. I think that's definitely an extraterrestrial incident, and uh, I think we're going to see more of those things, Art. I, I, I ask people to get prepared for this. Seen the alien autopsy? Oh, yeah. Opinion? Uh, actually, I, I'm quoted in there. They interviewed me on that. It had a, a tremendous impact upon me, Art, because I think it's definitely legitimate. And uh, I'm on that tape, and I make my point there that, that this is real. All right, I really want to give you a chance, since time slips, to give your number out again. You have you have a series, actually, of videotapes, and these support what you're doing. Well, I would appreciate that, Art. I would like to ask people that there's a 24-hour toll-free line, 1-888-338-8581. And for anybody that calls in and, and orders that tape, uh, which I'm rather proud of, I think it's fairly well done, you'll get a free copy of a petition for the 1998 Open Congressional Hearing on Modern UFO Evidence, and you'll get a primary suggested reading list that I've put together that's taken quite a few years to put together. And anybody who wants to communicate with us here at Stargate, uh, I encourage people to do so. We publish a little newsletter. We can use all the help we can get, Art, and we encourage people to participate in this process. That's the only way we're ever going to get this thing out. You also have a special line for anybody who's been abducted uh, where you help people out. 
That's true. We, is... we have found that there are people who are terribly traumatized by their experiences. Oh, I know. They call and, me. Uh, Cecilia put together this uh, this program, and which I have a great deal of respect for, and it's a training program that she's put together on how to assist people. All right, we... it's area code five two zero. Yeah. Three eight 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 five nine one. That's the hotline number. And that when is that available? That's twenty four hours. Twenty four hours. Yeah. You got the thing staffed twenty four hours, huh? Well. What we have is we have an answering system, and uh, if people call, we get back to them. We don't have an operator sitting there 24 hours a day. I understand. But we monitor this thing pretty thoroughly, and if they call that hotline, uh, the crisis intervention team will get back to those people, and we have great respect for their privacy, and uh, we know that people need some assistance, and we're trying to give them all we can. All right. Well, it, you've been a real trooper to stay with us this long, Robert. I really, really appreciate it. It's been a hell of a show. Well, Art, I commend you for your efforts. Keep up the good work, will you? Thanks, and if you really do uh, get to the point where you want to send those papers off, <laughs> we'll hey, handle it. I'm not joking. I'm putting you on my mailing list. Yeah, I'm not joking either. Okay, uh, guys. All right, thank you, and good night. Good night, Art. Okay. Feel like you have a little whiplash from last night? <laughs> Tonight... When we return, it will be with the senior editor from High Times. Good night.